Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this week we're joined by my colleague and close collaborator, Chris Bayer. Chris is formerly known as a CGI generalist where he works as a freelancer from his home office in San Francisco. Chris and I first met while working on the FITC Tokyo title sequence back in 2015. And from there, we've worked on various client projects and some very cool, awesome personal projects. On this episode, Chris and I discuss his outlook on being a generalist in his craft, the fine balance needed for freelance lifestyle, the subjective whole of art in general, and the reasons why he seeks out doing passion projects. This episode is brought to you by LearnSquared. LearnSquared is an online ed- art education platform that is founded and powered by industry-leading artists from around the world. The thing that makes LearnSquared unique in my eyes is th- that we're building a community and for people to have the ability to connect with those that they admire and learning applicable and usable knowledge by those that are leading the way in their particular industry. If you're interested in sharpening a particular part of your creative abilities, or just simply curious to see how others work and problem solve, head over to LearnSquared.com and begin your journey. Here we go, everyone. Episode 147 with Chris Bayer. Let's roll. Well, yeah, welcome to the, welcome on the show. I know uh, Thank you. you've listened to the show for... Uh, quite some time now so it's probably pretty awesome um well hopefully you enjoy it to be on the other end of this of the spectrum we've talked about doing an episode quite a few times i think i've been bugging you to do this for a while um (laughs) and uh yeah because i find that we have such interesting in-depth conversations and just kind of like everything kind of flows along naturally and we talk about some really interesting topics uh everything ranging from like the work-life balance to the industry and your thoughts on it. And you're kind of a, a unique uh, character like myself, you know, where you're a satellite basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I guess we have a lot of like similar interests, like, um, and a lot of, uh, like, you know, we both, we talk a lot about movies and I guess that sort of informs a lot of work and, um, and to get back to the podcast thing, like, uh, I think, right about when you started your podcast and close to when you started um, was when I started um, freelancing. Mm. And I think it was just sort of, um, it was great to hear, you know, you know, other people talking about freelancing and, and just uh, sort of the ins and out of, you know, finding proper work-life balance and, and all that, what that entails, because there's really no, like, there's no roadmap and it's so, I guess it's the young industry, motion graphics as well. There's just yeah. no like straight path, if you will. I guess people are, you know, we're we're still trying to figure out what that is. But. Yeah, yeah. The freelance world is, uh, yeah, it's funny. We talk about it, but I'm totally unbalanced almost all the time, just because. Yeah. <laughs> depending on what's going on, whether it's like a passion project or. Um, client job or learning something new um there's always something that's throwing my attention or focus off to something else you know completely um yeah have you found any kind of things that have helped you out probably knowing me more is probably not helping probably so (laughs) well i guess you're you're an anomaly as well because most people probably don't work as much but i think um i don't know i I think there's sort of there's sort of three things that 
uh, or three stages to like having a good career, which is like one is like getting work. Mm -hmm. You know, the two others are like um, finding like a good, like sustainable way of living and then like getting to do the work that you want to do and balancing all those or the last two is, is the hardest by far, you know. It's, yeah. Um, and I guess it all depends on, on what you're, you know, what you want in, in life or what, you know, artistically what you're looking for because there's plenty of jobs out there where you can just be, I don't know, like a staff designer somewhere or animator and do decent work or do work. Um, and get paid, but you know, it might not always be so like artistically satisfying. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, well, you've had these jobs and so have I, and probably most of the people that are listening in some kind of forum or another, or part of their life, they've done jobs that, um, they just weren't really aligned with. And it's not that they're bad jobs or the people that hired them are shitty people. Well, maybe not. Sometimes they are, but yeah, it's, it's really difficult to kind of get to that place where you're doing the work that you are most passionate about. How close are you to that now in your career? I, mean, I, feel, I feel like it's getting closer and closer. And I yeah. feel like, like freelancing has kind of been like a life hack for me because when I was, I was a staff designer for many years. I actually worked for the same company for, for eight years. And, uh, Is this Autofus? Which one was this? No, it was a company before that. Um, it used to be called uh, Elastic Creative, not to be confused with uh, Elastic in, in LA. But um, okay, they have a different name now. They merged with another company. But uh, basically, when I started, we were six guys doing After Effects, and when I left, um, the company was close to like forty-five people. So oh, wow. it sort of changed a lot. And um, like, I got hired when I was like. I think I was like 21, 22. Hmm. Um, so in, in those early stages, you know, I was just in my early 20s, I was just like to be working, you know, doing motion graphics. And, um, and I think sort of eventually, um, you know, both learning more about the industry and just, you know, also just sort of finding myself as, as an artist. Like I started, you know, I thought that, the work started to get stale, you know, I was getting stale. Like I didn't, you know, feel like, uh, or just because like I wasn't feeling the jobs, like I didn't, I just wasn't that motivated. So I didn't do very good work either. So yeah. I think that, that was sort of a factor where I sort of had to, you know, pull myself out of it. And then when I finally started freelancing, you know, I was sort of surprised how, not how easy, but how, you know, there's, I'm in San Francisco and luckily there's sort of, there's an abundance of work and mm. I'm really fortunate that, um, like when I started freelancing, all, a lot of my friends were freelancing and they were just very generous with like referring me to the clients and, um, awesome stuff like that. Yeah. So that, that Good helped network. Out. Yeah. There's a ton of money to be made up there too. It's a lot of people throwing money away to just yeah. random, randomness. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure you worked on some dot com. Get that dot com money madness. Yeah, yeah, everybody does. I mean, it's it's sort of. I mean, it's interesting because, um, especially like in motion graphics, because it's uh, like you know San Francisco, Silicon Valley. That's sort of the hub of of all innovation right now. But like in when it comes to design and motion graphics, it feels a little stale. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not like super innovative realm over there. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a lot of companies run by, by engineers and they're sort of not so interested in, in the creative. They're more about like what the tech is and what the, you know, what the details of a specific app is or. Sure. Rightfully so. That's what's important to them. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're making money. So sure. Yeah. Why? yeah. The formula works for them. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting place. One thing I want to touch touch on is that you're not originally from the States too, which I think is really interesting. That might also kind of lead to your natural transition possibly as a freelancer. Yeah. Yeah. Being able Uh to like kind of adapt and change and react to a different environment. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I've always been sort of, sort of a safe person or not wanting to sort of step into something unless I was, you know, 80% sure of something, but, um, um, but yeah, I mean, just like, um, or just me starting motion graph and motion graphics itself is really random. Like, um, um, like one of the main reasons was I didn't get into the, the design school I wanted to go to. And, uh, so I'm, I'm from Denmark and in Denmark, you actually get money from the government to study and uh, I needed to, you know, I was living with my girlfriend at the time and I needed to pay rent. So I started this uh, graphic design and uh, multimedia design education, uh, which was like this two-year education. And at the time, it was it was fairly new. And um, the only thing interesting about it was, was the graphic design aspect. And I learned Flash and stuff like that. But uh, we randomly had this guest lecturer from San Francisco. Um, had like a small company here. And... Uh, he was taking uh, interns, so um, like six of my other friends and myself, like we all like interned for this guy for three months in San Francisco. And uh, his wife used to work for this company that later hired me, Elastic Creative, and uh, she got an internship there as well. Um, so I interned there for three months and learned After Effects and. Uh, I kept in touch with those guys and then they offered me a job uh, once I graduated. Mm-hmm. So I, it was, I don't know, I, I never really planned on moving to the States, but you know, the opportunity just sort of arrived and uh, uh, I really fell in love with San Francisco and uh, yeah, it's a cool city. What do you like about that city? I think it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. It feels, <laughs> I haven't lived anywhere else in the States, yeah. but it's a very unique place. It's very European for the States, actually. Yeah, that's what I would say. Like, it, it, it feels very, like, um, it's just such a melting pot. Like, you can find yeah. any, any type of culture or subculture, and uh, it's it's very diverse. I like that a lot. I mean, it's interesting because Denmark is, is probably far more liberal, but it's just not as diverse. Hmm. There's, there's many, like, uh, different types of cultures. Um, which is just more of a geographical thing. Yeah. Do you find that you um, enjoy like living in a multicultural places that give you like foundation for inspiration? <laughs> like, does it feed you something creatively or is it just something that makes you feel like more or less comfortable being in like a place that's more accepting of possible different like cultures and outlooks and stuff. So you don't have to like really fret about that. I also, I find that's like the food is always amazing, you know, yeah. <laughs> amazing yeah, food, you know, it's usually the best. Um, yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, like at my old work, um, like I was one of the, the first hires that was, that wasn't from the States. And then like all the, the hires after that, they were all from other countries. So at some point, like we were 
you know, there were only like uh, five people or so who were from the States and there were like people from Japan, from Chile and all, you know, all different parts of South America and Europe. And mm. it's just, it's sort of interesting, like, especially when you're talking about art, for instance, and you're talking with people that, you know, grew up watching The Simpsons, but in a different language or, you know, like any like type of Sunday morning cartoon and, you know, and how that sort of informs like what they're doing today. And mm. I don't know, like experiencing like very similar things, but things that are very different, you know, in a way. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's just a different lens, a different outlook. I think it helps, you know, if you have the continually same uh, inbred look out, look at the world, and everything is the same. Um, I don't know; it doesn't breed uh, randomness in the way that you think and how you approach the world and how you see things too. So I think it usually helps to have that diverse um, lens on the world, just to kind of feed a different look at things. It just helps. I think it helps to create a mind too. At least that's yeah. what I think. But I mean. You know, what do I know? So, but, um, yeah. it is always good, right? Like, you know, are just traveling to different countries, you know, seeing how other people perceive the world. I think that's always good. Yeah, absolutely. I think it just helps, you know, you mentioned a little earlier, you were, um, you had applied for a, to the design school and you didn't get in. Is that you said? Yeah. What was the school that you didn't get into? Well, it's called the, the Danish design school. And, um, well, at, at the time, well, I, I think when I was younger, I always wanted to be a traditional artist. And, mm. like, I've been drawing since forever. Actually, the last time I was home, like, my mom has binders of drawings that I did from, like, I was two years old till I was, like, 15, mm. which is sort of interesting. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so I always thought that I wanted to be, like, a traditional artist like, or an illustrator or maybe a cartoonist, but... After high school, I took this um, this art course for six months, and um, we have these sort of specialized schools in Denmark called um, in Danish it's high school. It's sort of like a uh, it's like a boarding school for grown-ups where you know you can they're usually like specialized in specific things like it could be gymnastics or arts, for instance. So I went to this art school and. Um, I saw like all my art teachers there, like most of them were teaching because, you know, they, they weren't working and every now and then they would sell like a painting to a bank or something like that. And sure. that just seemed like such a, <laughs> or at least to me, such a miserable existence, you know? And then yeah. at, at that place too, I was, I was introduced to um, sort of graphic design and like designing on a computer and, you know, I, uh, worked on a Mac for for the first time and you know, mm. saw that you know maybe maybe that was sort of the way to go. But um, but then when I went to this other school, I just you know I sent in some drawings. I didn't really have much of a portfolio. And it was it was pretty shitty. Um, <laughs> I just you know at the time I just didn't really know exactly what I was doing or what I wanted to do. Just that I wanted to do something creative. Yeah. Um, do you think art is something that could be taught, or do you think it's something that should be learned through this, the process of action and doing so. <laughs> I think a bit of both. I think, yeah. Uh, I think craft can be taught, right. But I think, uh, taste is, is sort of, sort of unique to, to the individual, you know? 
Yeah, we talk about this all the time. So this will be like yeah. a, a common ground for the podcast. I'll, I'll come back to it. But no, I'm just very curious because it's something that uh, comes up quite a bit just in the world of art and just, um, you know, craft. Yeah, of course, you can teach somebody how to draw the way that you draw if you have a certain particular formula and method to how you do it. But um, yeah, the taste is a, is 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 what matters most. I think. Well, I, I think both of them combined actually matter most. But both together, they, um, from my opinion, and maybe you differ. And this is something that I love because we get into like interesting debates where we have completely different lenses on things. But like, I think we're we're really great taste and really great craft combined. That's those are the artists that we probably both admire the most. You know. Yeah. Like, the people that work hard and they they put in the time to hone their craft, but at the same time have impeccable taste, you know. For sure, I mean, I think it's sort. Of, I mean, that's what differentiates good good and bad art, right? Or yeah. again, that's, that's subjective. What that is, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, also like in my time as a motion designer, I've worked with many like directors and creative directors, and and again, like what what makes a good creative director director is is its taste at the end because oftentimes like you know whether that person is is good or bad or has good or bad ideas you know like the job's gonna get done no matter what but it's it's often that taste level that sort of you know puts the thing on the edge or... yeah no that's exactly it i think um i mention it all the time but ira glass have you ever heard him? yeah he talks about like that quote um, yeah that quote's really great yeah you know yeah. what i'm talking about right go ahead yeah. and recite it for me uh, <laughs> just joking. I don't remember yeah. the word, but I think phrase, like, yeah. like like the other thing that that he says in that quote, which I think is pretty important, is that you know to do both to, both to develop taste and 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 to become good at something is to do something over and over, you know. Yeah. And you're going to do a lot of like shitty stuff until you get to that point, you know. And, and that's what you know, learning or mastering anything is like. You're not going to you know, do great first try necessarily. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's rare when people ever kind of somehow naturally pair up with something that's known to be hard and can kind of accelerate it instantly. I think a lot of it breaks down into the way that your mind perceives things and the reality around you and then how you bend that reality to your whim. I'm reading, yeah. I'm reading a really good book. I think I was talking to you about this morning, actually it's called a uh, mastery. Um, let me look that up actually. So um, we'll have it in the notes for people because um, we also for the podcast anytime we mention anything like if you mentioned a book or some yeah. site or something we usually try to catch those and put them into it um, let's see mastery I'm gonna <laughs> mastery because uh, there's two of them there's two different versions there's one by Robert Greene which is incredible really really good book but yeah. the, the one I'm reading now, what I'm trying to do every morning is before I touch my phone, before I look at anything, email, social media, any requests from the world electronically, I grab uh, this book for the fifth, first 15 minutes of my day. I pick it up and I read it. And for the last 15 minutes of my day, I, I pick it up and I read it. That's some discipline. <laughs> you got to be the best. I mean, like, I think the way that I'm starting to really look at myself and what I do in my life is I'm trying to kind of like apply what I learn from like really high end, high level, yeah. Olympic level, uh, minds at their approach and things. And I could be completely wrong. And there's a lot of artists I know out there that just like 
we'll get into this in a minute too because i'm curious about your thoughts on this and a lot of these things are kind of interesting because we've talked about them or touched on them but we're just going to elaborate on this because this is like an interesting forum to do so um the other book sorry is called mastery the key to success and long time for long-term fulfillment is by george uh leonard and it's it's um so far it's amazing and he basically says that exact thing that my ira was talking about from that quote and that's something i kind of uh I briefly yeah. kind of glossed over that, you know, because yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things take time. I get it. But it's like you don't understand that things actually really do take a yeah. tremendous amount of time and effort to get good at them. Yeah. And it, it sort of harkens back to the whole craft and, and natural ability thing yeah. as well. Like, what do you what do you prefer, for instance, like stuff like art that, that is premeditated or art that, that is just, you know, sometimes a painter will just paint something randomly something abstract, you know, something on a whim hmm. or something, you know, and, um, or other times like a person will sort of have sketched something out, thought something, uh, thought of something for a long time and then, you know, meticulously make something and craft something. Like for instance, there's, there's one of my favorite documentaries is called, uh, my kid could paint that, which is about this uh, four year old girl who, um, makes abstract paintings and uh you know she gets discovered and uh eventually like some of her paintings sell for you know thousands and thousands of dollars and um it's it's then later discovered that maybe her her father helped her but um in the end like the question is more like whether she did it on her own or whether her father helped her or whatever like you know if you just see a piece of art, is it is it good or or what makes it good, right? Does it need a backstory or does you know what what is is it that makes something I don't know uh, what qualifies something as, as good art? As good, yeah. We talk about this all the time, and this is one of the conundrums you always find because it's like it's it's subjectivity. <laughs> Um, and you, and the, to answer the question you were talking about earlier, it's like, do I appreciate an artist that just kind of whims, whimsically kind of like drops art out of their pores or just kind of randomly like, uh, I, you know, it's really hard to tell because if you look at a piece of art and you don't know the backstory, you don't know the artist, you don't know the meanings and importance behind it. I remember going to college and then hearing, I had a really amazing art history teacher. And when I realized I had to take art history at the time, I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, like typical um, dumb kid that just didn't want to open his mind to uh, the world outside. But my uh, Mr. Levine was his name. He was incredible, incredibly passionate about the history of art. He wasn't an artist himself, but he was a very big connoisseur and appreciator of the arts. And, his like passion for it unlocked all this potential within me to see that oh, there's yeah. much more to it. And he would analyze and dissect pieces of art and, and talk about them in such passion that you couldn't help but just be swept up in his in his sellability, basically. And so yeah. I started to realize like, wow, there's this there's this whole another level of art that's about the execution of how your art is delivered over time. And that's kind of like why we have these household names of uh, Da Vinci or um, Van Gogh, you know, like it's, it's always funny. Um, You know, you talk to a common person who doesn't know much about art, but they are familiar with the brand that is Van Gogh, you know, Um, which is really ironic and not to take anything away from him, but there's hundreds of thousands of artists that could paint circles around him in different capacities. 
Right. Um, but it's just that he became like the spokesman, unfortunately, after he passed away. So kind of lived like a really shit life, you know? So, um, yeah, but yeah, that seems to be a common, common occurrence for a lot of like artists. That's that period, I guess. That was a big worry for me. And that's what kind of, when you talked about like seeing your, your art teachers who at the time who were obviously I'm sure better than you and who were living kind of like a, a shitty quality of life where they're just kind of like, well, I hope somebody at the bank will buy my painting, you know? And, and it's kind of like a weird marketplace where you're kind of, I had the same thing happen, a big epiphany in college. I would see the, the teachers at the time who were better artists, craftsmen than I was kind of unhappy and going through the motions of, Oh, you know, I'm going to try and make, sell this one painting to this one person. And that's like my goal. Right. And then if I don't do that, I'm, I have the backup for teaching basically, you know, right. and it felt so sad, you know, like, and I'm not, yes. I'm not trying to talk about, down on anybody. It's just oh, like, no, no. it's just like, damn, what a, um, what an existence, you know, like there's gotta be something more to this, you know, right. than, than that, you know? So, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay that or make them you know, talk down to that. It's just a weird existence that I didn't want to have anything to do with. Cause I was like, Oh, I want to crush it. And then, I don't know. I, I imagine it. There are certain things that changed for you once you realized it. And, and like you said, working on a Mac and being <laughs> able to activate that, like that whole, um, the ironic thing is we both work on PCs now, not completely, of course. No, <laughs> okay. I still mainly use my Mac. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd probably say about 15% of my day is still spent on the Mac unless I'm going yeah deep into like heavy stuff and, and you just got to embrace it, I guess. So, but yeah, yeah. Uh, to go back to it though, like talking about like the differences between the two artists, I, I don't know. I think it's, um, a lot of it's in the story that's being told that explains it to be completely honest. I think that's really where the whimsy of art that it doesn't have anything personally attached to me. That's where the value is. Yeah. And that's mostly how, like how it's, uh, it's ushered and curated, you know? So whether yeah. that means anything, I don't know, but that's really what, um, yeah, it's kind of like, imagine watching Star Wars without the soundtrack. It's kind of like that almost, you know, so like you're, you're missing a big core piece of why it's good. And that's the significant part. So, yeah. And, and again, yeah, it's like you were saying too, it's so subjective and, and there's so many, um, like we were talking about this earlier today, like how some artists are really good at like, um, getting their stuff out there where others, you know, you might, you know, find these like, um, these artists that no one's ever heard about who does really amazing work, but they're just not so good at like getting their stuff out there these days, like using social media or whatever. But, um, yeah. um I'm sure that was way harder back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, for sure it was because we, the past generation before us were the teachers, you know, they were the people that we encountered that were working at the colleges or something that, um, yeah. unless they really killed it or got represented at a gallery or did some kind of like crazy something or other to get them like kicked in the butt to get out there. Um, it's not like, yeah, to be an artist, I think was like, what you're going to be an artist? Like, what a shitty life that is, you know, like you're going you're gonna to starve. And that was always a big worry for me. So I was like, wow, right. I don't want to starve. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely not like having a way to sustain your, yourself. And I guess that's, that's, that was sort of the main like turnoff that having, not that teaching is bad, but having to do something that wasn't necessarily your number one passion. Yeah. You know, just to something that was close enough to, to what you wanted to do. But, um, 
remembering that passion, I think, is really quite key, right? And remembering why it is that you're doing it. And which yeah. leads, leads me kind of to my next thing, because I that was one thing I felt, found interesting about your past, is that you originally came from being an artist, and I would consider you now to be very technically savvy, you know, like you and like Michael Wrigley, even like Michael Wrigley is really technically savvy and understanding. Like if I have a technical question, I could go like, Hey, do you know how to do this in cinema? You usually would know. I'm like, damn sick, you know, but oh, like, well, Michael definitely is. Well, yeah, he's like the, the encyclopedia talking yeah. about Michael Wrigley right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, a lot of it's, it's, it's sort of, um, or I, you know, ten or fifteen years ago, I would have never thought, you know, I would be here doing what I'm doing now. But I think a lot of it's just um, things are changing so fast, and especially like in this industry. And uh, um, and I think what a lot of people don't understand now is like with motion graphics, it's so vast. It sort of encompasses like so many like different disciplines of like. Like all types of animation, like anything from like 2D cell animation to like 3D compositing, uh, 3D tracking, particle animation. There's so many different things now, and um, I think I was fortunate that I got to to work at a studio where I got to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. And um, and I mean, obviously, I, I definitely stayed curious, and I tried to sort of. I mean, it's also a necessity for sure, you know, to sort of know uh, the latest software to a certain extent um, to get jobs. But um, I don't know. There, there's, there's all like we talk about this a lot too. But there's sort of an empowerment in, in knowing like all these tools and being able to do all these things by yourself. Um, where like before, like. You know, in, in visual effects pipelines, for instance, like everything is so specialized. You have one person that you know, the models, one person does the rigging, one person you know, animates, and another person yeah. composites. And like these days, you have a lot of people that do all these things like by themselves, and a lot of software is available. And um, generalist, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you think of being? Because you would, would you consider yourself a generalist? I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, I think. <laughs> I know a little bit of a lot of things. Hmm. A lot of things I'm not necessarily good at. Um, yeah, that's good to know that too, though, and be aware of that because you're constantly growing. You know. Yeah, and it's I don't know as as a freelancer. I mean, I guess this applies to companies too. Like, it's you usually get hired for what you have on your site or whatever. And yeah, I, mean, I remember like when I started freelancing, I had some particle stuff on. On my website, and like for almost like a year, all I did was particle animations, and mm. it's sort of, um, I guess these days it's all about you know sort of shaping your portfolio into what it is you want to do. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting because I'm, as we're doing the interview, I'm looking at your site, and then I'm looking at the top like four projects on your site. And what's really cool is um, we're going to get into this quite in depth, too, because we've done a couple of films together. We yeah. first met on uh, Michael Wrigley introduced us together, I think, when you came on to help us with some extra heavy lifting when we were doing the FITC project. 
Yeah. Which was uh, obviously a very uh, iconic project in the motion des- design industry uh, as it's continually been like rebuilt uh, by other people. <laughs> I'm just going to use a nice word, which is fine. It is what it is. It has its impact, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and it had its uh, good or bad. That's what it is, you know, so. Um, but yeah, that was really cool. And you were always just like super good to work with. For me, I, I've had quite a few people ask like, um, what I personally look for when it comes to collaboration. And I'm going to ask the same thing of you too. But for me, I, I look for somebody who's easy to communicate with, who lacks like a heavy ego and like really wants to just that wholeheartedly knows that it's about the betterment of the project as much as possible. Um, cause that, that usually leads to like the best connections. Cause then you just kind of be, you form into one and then you just, who cares about anything else. You just want to make right. the project the best possible thing with, within like the logic of realm, like the realm of logic, you know? So yeah, that's yeah. why we've, we've made a, I mean, Epoch is, is probably one of my most proud things I've ever made in, in, in my career thus far. And I'm really, it was cool, dude. We took a crazy journey. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lots of late night renderings. Dude, so much rendering. It was a 16,000. I think I counted at the end of the day. We probably did over 18,000 frames or something of rendering in the, in the span of, it was about two and a half months actually when I look back at it because we were kind of gone. It was during the holidays. So it was yeah. like off and on. So about two and a half months. Um, but yeah, I mean, before that, we, decided to do um that little short none while we we're in between projects and stuff that yeah. was a lot, that was a lot of fun too um yeah yeah just that like that process of learning and communicating and like learning how to uh work and communicate with one another and get our ideas across and stuff too which is really interesting um but yeah, yeah. when when i look at your site um and then so i have two questions so when i look at your site you mentioned whatever you produce and share with the world is what you usually get back um from clients and i'm a firm believer in that like if you want to like if you want to sell apples but all you're doing is sitting on the corner selling lemons nobody knows you're gonna have apples to sell you know so you got to put the apples out there you know so um so right now what's your 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 um, trajectory and projection because you have there's epoch i believe it's uh is is it titled echoes is it the one? Uh, yeah. yeah, Echoes, yeah, which is a really beautiful, like, fractal piece that you did. <laughs> then there's none. This is at the time of our conversation, so depending on how far along in the future you're listening to this, uh, you might have changed it by then. Um, maybe there, there's some, a couple more short films in there or something, but there's none, and then your void short as well, and so that's what's taking up the most, uh, your biggest real estate. So what are you trying to tell the world, and what are you looking for to do to do in the future? Um, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think it's sort of, that's Probably, I mean, obviously the best work that I've done so far, but I think work-wise, actually, I'm trying to do less animation. Um, and I just want to, I mean, basically, I, I just want to make pretty pictures. And uh, I find it more satisfying to do more constant thing and not having to worry so much about how to produce stuff. Yeah, um, I think tough. that's more for work. Um, but I think, um, like, ultimately, like, one of, one of the things that, um, or one of the big epiphanies for me, uh, I mean, it's a long time ago, but, but I think now these days, like just having interesting projects doesn't mean that it has to be for a big brand or, you know, some known company. I think it's sort of interesting work is interesting work. And I think people is probably the best example of that, right? You know, yeah, Mike, yeah. 
someone who's just sort of, you know, carved out his, his own path just by doing his own thing. And, uh, like I remember when I used to work for, for the other company and, uh, like when we did our first Adobe job, I thought, Oh, it's going to be awesome. You know, but it didn't necessarily <laughs> turn out that way. And I think in general, like the, the projects I've done, like the, usually the, the bigger the client or the bigger the brand, you know, the, the more void of creativity, you know, it's usually yeah. been sort of most or very restricted and not so, not necessarily so interesting. Creative. Yeah. Um, I thought the same thing. The first time I encountered a big project, I was like, yeah, finally I'm going to crank it. And it was like, Whoa, look at all this red tape everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be like, um, I think it's like, it, yeah, like be a seasoned vet to deal with that stuff and really know how to navigate those waters because it's quite difficult without getting burnt out and really understand where to put the, where to put the gas down and, you know, when to slow down and when to hit and haul ass and how to manage those things is really difficult. For sure. For sure. I mean, again, it, it, it depends on what you want. I mean, it's, it's sort of, uh, I mean, it sounds very pretentious, right? But it's, I don't know, like, or I, I personally just don't find like um, some of the more corporate jobs so so interesting. And um, I mean, it all depends. Like, if you just want to get paid, you know, there's there's plenty of jobs like that out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's ways like there's ways of making it epic. Like, I think uh, George Lewis he wrote this book that I read every once in a while. It's called "Damn Good Advice for People with Talent." Um, you ever read that book? no it's actually really good um it's awesome it's basically like a bunch of rules that he goes by but when he was doing like the the quote-unquote corporate kind of ad agency kind of stuff um it's nothing that stuff doesn't really interest me not like it's bad it's just it doesn't really interest me at all but yeah. I, I, I do love and no matter what if you if you put your passion and your creative behind something like uh it, it'll always like draw a crowd and that's kind of what he did and what he was talking about in that book is just kind of like his rules and things that he's ran through in his career that kind of apply to the, the, the methods in which he's worked. And he, you know, he's worked on like with what we would consider maybe to be some somewhat stale of, you know, companies or, or slogans and stuff, but he manages to like, you know, make them something that they aren't. And again, as I go back and talk about my art history teacher in college, (laughs) you take something like, you know, if in passing I was in, I was reading a flipping through a history book about art and I saw like just some mask or something. I'd be like, yeah, that's bullshit. You know, that's a dumb kid. You know, um, I'm a little bit, I'm a little wiser than I, at least I hope I am now. Um, probably not. And I would go, uh, in, but he would sit there and, and explain to me the romantic qualities behind this mask because it had to do with like this King making it for his queen. And it was this whole thing that started a war and it was like, then you're just like, holy shit, it, you're delivering it completely differently. And that, that in itself is the magic of that design, you know? And, oh, that, and so there's multiple levels. I think what we're talking about probably more than anything is just like that visual stimulus or that, like that thing that really kicks off, like the thing that we love about design possibly, which is that visual tonal kind of connection that we have. And also, I mean, it's all, more than that, of course, but um, this is something I constantly contemplate and think about like, how is this being delivered and will this like resonate, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an well, interesting path. So it is. And I think, well, I think again, like back to the whole freelance thing, like, just, you know, realizing that, you know, that you can be more selective with your projects and, 
and, and not having to do the same thing all the time, you know, was, was incredibly liberating. Yeah, because it's, you know, even, I don't know, even if you work for whatever, like, Buck or Psyop, you know, you're going to be doing shitty jobs at some point. You know, it's not all. Like, yeah, they have to pay the bills, and I imagine they're not showing everything that they're doing on the website, you know, so they're probably just showing what the cream of the crop, like what we do, you know, like um, yeah. the work we put out there is like the work that we want to continually get. Yeah. Um, but at the yeah, at the same time, I th- what I'm getting at is I think even better designers than myself will figure out a way of making something that I might pass on, making it epic. And I think that's 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 the beauty of design right there is being able to take something that was once forgotten and then rebuilding it or remixing it or making it some viewed at a different lens, you know, um, through that extra like push of incentive or whatever it is, you know. So yeah, and that's like. That's a whole different thing, but yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's a particular skill. Yeah, it is. It's a total different skill. It's a communication skill, I think. Yeah. It's like something that um, I find that people are, that are really great leaders or very persuasive or very um, communicating on a, on a very high level, being able, being able to get people behind their actions and their thoughts and and concepts and ideas. Those are usually the people that are, that manage to kind of take like a laundry detergent commercial and like go, wow, that was actually quite engaging, you know? So, and some people thrive off that for me personally, I could care less, but, um, not to say it's less value. It's just, it is what it is too. How do you deal with that too? I mean, this is something we talk about quite a bit, um, with just the vastness of the internet and then people's opinions and stuff. And I noticed that you're not super like, um, I would consider myself to be somewhat active on social media probably too much. I'm going to probably pull myself away from it quite a bit coming up here just because it's getting to be distracting from my production productivities. But, um, what's your thoughts on social media and using it? And then, uh, we'll get into talking about like just dealing with like the, the, the self-proclaimed masters of their craft on the commentary sections of people's work. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like an old man, but <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but you're I'm not, just, you're young. So just people I, know. I, well, I think when it comes to social media, I think I just, I, for the most part, I don't engage with it. Like I'm on, I'm on Facebook and I just joined Instagram last year, but I don't post anything personal and I don't like, like on Instagram, I only put work stuff up and I think it's just more, um, like a conscious choice to like, I don't know, like the friends I have, like I, I talk to like through other like, mediums and, um, mm. and I think I could easily see like, you know, like something like Twitter. I think I could easily see like the temptation to overshare things. And, um, I don't know. So I think it's just easier for me not to do it or not wanting to do it. And yeah. I don't know. I'm paranoid too, when it comes to like, <laughs> like Facebook and, and just social media in general, but it's, it's sort of, it's sort of alarming to think of like, just like in the past five years, you know, like there's been created more digital content like than, than ever. And most of it is garbage, right? It's, it's all yeah. one of the breakfast pictures. And, <laughs> and I so, wonder so. how much of like that one huge, um, memory thing that that huge storage data center in like virginia or whatever i wonder how much i think it's like 50 percent of it's like people selfies i bet probably, like, like quarter mean, of it's like dick pics probably, <laughs> <a lot> of that. <laughs> but i mean selfies man like dude i hate selfies so much but 
I have an 11 year old daughter that's like, that's her existence is like looking at herself on the phone. I'm like, oh man. I know. It's hard <laughs> to, I mean, you can't avoid it these no, days. It it's even if you see like an Apple commercial, that's sort of what they cater to now. It's so sad. Yeah. They highlight but I shake I mean, my I just, head. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what people want. I mean, I think I, I'm just more like, I don't know, like, Maybe not too paranoid, but it's sort of all that data we're giving away. It's not going nowhere, right? It's being no, nowhere and being sold. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's privately owned companies that are selling yeah. your information to advertisers to keep pumping you full of stuff. I mean, that's, right. that's on the on the on the most clear cut version of this stuff. That's exactly what it is. But also now that we have, I guess, a less sincere government, you know, <laughs> always have. Uh, well (laughs) maybe more worse than now but you know all the information's out there you know and yeah that you you know like the capabilities of of new phones and like you know apple watches like everything's being monitored so it's i don't there's so much data out there about you that you know that you freely give away but yeah misuse um for me, I just don't give a shit sometimes. I'm like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but I, I mean, that's kind of a bad, that nonchalant way of looking at things could be bad. And we, I remember, uh, showing you that film, uh, tickled, which <laughs> yeah. is so messed up, man. I couldn't, I didn't even, yeah. If you're listening to this, don't listen to what we're talking about with it. We're not going to actually talk about it much. Cause I don't want anybody to know much about it. Just go watch it <laughs> and just get ready for it. Cause it'll destroy your head. <laughs> yeah. I was working when I was watching it and then I had it like about halfway through, I had to stop what I was doing and just sit there and watch it. Yeah. It was, <laughs> was like, what? It, kind of, yeah, it had sort of a twist, right? It's sort of a, yeah. Um, I just couldn't believe it. It was just like, kept getting crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Well, yeah everybody just go watch it i mean we kind of leads to the next thing we could talk about too is like one of my favorite shows and one we talk about a lot i don't know if it's necessarily my favorite show say my one of my favorite shows is like seinfeld or something but um like in the in the realm of like contemporary sci-fi i think the most relevant and one of my favorites is uh black mirror and this is something we talk about too and that's yeah to kind of harp on the idea of what you're saying like kind of living off the fat of the land of the internet but not necessarily like rubbing yourself in fat if that makes sense <laughs> like yeah. sleeping in the fat you know so it's like being yeah. reaping the benefits of using the internet to show your work but not necessarily like going on facebook and giving them all your information all the time and constantly being inundated with the advertisers you know pumping that beast basically and dropping that dopamine you know every time you see a like oh good you know you know like you're like a gerbil in a cage you know so yeah yeah constantly I mean, in a I- circle I, I get it, and it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's definitely it's gratifying, and I think it's, it's also, it, it can definitely be helpful, too, you know, especially yes. yeah. both art and, 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 yeah, if you're an artist or a company or whatever, like, to get your stuff out there, um, and I think that's that's mostly what I use it for. I mean, the main thing is, is like, there's a lot of people that I'm not so, or friends I have that I'm not so close to, and that's sort of the way they communicate, like, people I went to high school with. So, you know, we mostly talk through Facebook or um, there'll be certain companies that I follow. So, you know, whatever, I'll, you know, check up on what, what they're doing. But um, 
I don't know. I think now too, like we're seeing like a lot, you know, all this fake news and all this stuff. It's sort of, I, I guess you just sort of have to have a critical mind about like what, what you're taking, you know, taking in. Yeah. Yeah. It's all consumption in some form. Yeah. And then just being aware of that consumption, I think is quite important. Yeah. uh, It's kind of, um, yeah, it's really interesting. You could be, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's a, it's like any tool. It's it has good purposes and bad purposes. Yeah. Take a hammer and put it in the hands of a, of a construction worker. He's going to put together a house to provide shelter for somebody put in the hands of a murderer. He's going to take somebody's life with it, you know? So same tool, different user, you know? So same kind of thing. Yeah. I think, um, one thing I remember Joe Rogan saying, which I thought was quite profound. And I always say it whenever I get too extreme on things, it's like everything in moderation, even moderation, you know, it's like, yeah, it's very true. Cause it's like, yeah, you know, (laughs) everything should be in moderation. There's no need to like, you know, um, be so hardcore on everything all the time, you know, yeah. it's, it's okay to like have a nice little balance between things. And yeah, yeah. what I do is I just set a timer now for that. I allow myself to yeah. have time with the social media. So 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day maximum on all of them at once. And so I, with that time, I actually get everything ready and I kind of just drop post like a, like a cloud of posts, basically like, <laughs> then I run away from it. So yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, my, my 86-year-old grandmother, she's on Facebook now, and she loves it, you know, because she can follow what her grandchildren are doing. She's always asking, like, why are you not posting more pictures, you know, because my cousins are always, like, hmm. like posting travel pictures, whatever they're doing. Um, and she loves that she can follow, you know. That's true, yeah. Follow things that way. Um, she can read her news, fake or, or real. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the read the fictional news. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's you know. I think that's again. That's this. It's again. It's just under the the different um, user. You know. So. Yeah. But yeah. No, I, I found that interesting because like you. Um, same with Michael Wrigley too. I found with Michael Wrigley too. Uh, he was quite away from like all the the media and the social media stuff. And and I um, I guess I've been using it for such a long time. I just. Just, it hasn't been, it, I never really thought about it until recently, really thinking about the effects of it and the usage of it and, and what makes it effective and what doesn't, you know, and it's pro- a lot of it's probably coming from these books that I'm reading. Another one that I'm reading is called Deep Work. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like another like really interesting book about just really getting into like um, that really ma- like mastery level of just focused work and dedication right. to whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leads yeah. me to, to, to what I want to talk to you about next is like how you learn things. You, you mentioned being a generalist. I know that you're a generalist because I've worked with you. And we're like, I'm like, well, what about that? And you're like, well, yeah, this is it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> how did you know that? And so, um, but I mean, how do you get to that level? Do you tend, do you watch a lot of tutorials? Is this something that you learn just through learning, working with other people that are at that level as well? Or something oh, that you've learned yeah. along, are both of them combined or? A bit, a bit of both, for sure. I mean, I've definitely watched a lot of tutorials in my time. And I think, um, and again, since, um, like, I didn't study motion graphics, so, like, I was both, you know, help, but also self-taught in many ways, like, learning After Effects, and eventually taught myself Cinema 4D. Um, like, started out, like, 
but just like from extruding a logo to eventually just doing more complex things. And, um, and I think again, because I work at such a small shop, like I got to do sort of a lot of things, like a lot of different things. So anything from 3D tracking to roto and um, even being like on set doing like video effects supervision and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's sort of helped inform a lot of things and um, I think once you know like the basics of one thing that will sort of infer a lot of other things or help you understand like you know other pieces of software for instance or just understanding the the mechanics behind it but I mean there's definitely a lot of like discipline and just like keeping up with whatever the latest thing is like I mean since I started using uh, After Effects you know Back then, it was always about creating like two and a half D or recreating three D in in two D, and now you're seeing this thing with cinema, for instance, where you're you know now with X particles, you can do things that look like Houdini, but it's you know it's not, and it's not as precise math, but it's, it looks pretty close. Um, but I think there's always this sort of um, I think that's what I love about cinema. It's very intuitive, you know, compared to other like 3D programs, for instance. It's sort of, um, you can do things that aren't necessarily done the proper way, but, you know, it comes out fine. Like, like in Maya, for instance, it's pretty rigid and you have to build things very structurally in the right way. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, like, um, there's, there's so many things out there these days so it's, it's definitely hard to keep track of, of everything could you list uh, off the top of your head the just some the programs that you frequently use and and many any of like maybe like the plugins that you use because the other day i got interviewed and i was asked the same thing and i was like wow i'm like really starting to learn a ton of stuff you asked me four years ago or five yeah. years ago i was oh, just photoshop and illustrator maybe a little indesign that's it you know but now it's like just gotten crazy what are what are like off the top of your head in the past month, what programs and, and plugins can you remember having to be, be able to keep up with and use on a professional uh, stage? I mean, it's not really, I mean, it's mostly just uh, cinema and after effects. Those are my main tools these yeah. days. I, I use Photoshop and Illustrator every now and then, but it's like for compositing, I mostly do everything in after effects um, for, <laughs> let's see. You do, I mean, you do that, your animations in there too. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Mostly, um, I've done a little bit of ZBrush, not, uh, not as much. Yeah, I got to uh, teach you now that I'm learning. Yeah. I know, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely way, way behind there. Um, for, for 3D tracking, I use a program called Synthize. Um, and uh, what else? Yeah, I heard that's a good one. For 2D tracking, um, it's not really, it's rare that I do that these days. Um, but, um, I'll just stare. Um, I think that's about it. And then as far as plugins, mostly just, um, like track code plugins, uh, Sapphire, um, a lot of X particles for, for cinema for you. Definitely. Yeah, X particles is awesome, and the sapphire stuff is incredible. You introduced me to that, and Anthony too. And I was like, "Wow, this is epic!" And also, Raul Marx showed me a bunch of stuff too. Yeah, um, it's it's yeah. Um, 
everything's just a little nicer. This is so expensive. Yeah, it's an expensive tool, but that one is really I found to be like there's nothing. None of the other ones can get as close as that can. You know, I yeah. we realized that I think when we were working on Epoch, and we're like, oh, okay, like the other plugins are were great. They're really awesome. Um, they were yeah. they weren't amazing though, and I think that's where the Sapphire plugin came in. It was just like, dude, this is yeah, this is taking it to that next level. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, the I mean, ones, After Effects, I found to just have like a plethora of plugins, you know, and, the, yeah. and like no end to menus. And it's just like, oh, man, it was always like this mountain that I was like, uh, I'm going to stay away from that. It's just, it's too, it's too crazy. And I mean, I've, yeah. d- I've dabbled in it quite a bit and I know how to get my way around it. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, <laughs> There's so much new stuff. Like, yeah. uh, just so many different 3D for the past few years. Like, there's so many new like 2D tools, um, like for, um, for rigging like 2D characters or um, there's like this dynamics thing in After Effects too. And, yeah, there's just a lot. Of, like the good thing about After Effects is that as far as animation goes, you can do almost anything. It's not necessarily the best at everything. Like if you want to do like really detailed compositing, Nuke is better for instance, but you can do pretty much anything in After Effects. Which is great too. It's like just a jack of all trades. And I think it's also because like Adobe has made it so accessible for almost everybody to have access to it. So I remember when I first started, like Photoshop was was very expensive. Um, But now it's, it's, it's much more affordable because you pay like that monthly fee. You don't pay like three to $4,000 or something like that. Some crazy, astonishing amount of money. The barrier, entry, sure. the barrier of entry is so much lower, and then you get like the suite, and then that we, then you get access to like After Effects, and then once you open up that those gates to all those people, you just get all these people making plugins because they're like, ah, oh, this is good, but it could be better, you know, or people that come from like say Maya or something like, oh, I have this particle sim that I figured out a formula to, I'll just apply it to this, and then we can make that, you know, and before you know it, you have these ample plugins that are doing all kinds of stuff. I just how do you keep up with it all? I mean, it's just like, do you find yourself frequently watching tutorials or is it your friends telling you things or showing you things or? Um, It depends. Like a lot is sort of on the fly, depending on on what the task is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paint a scenario. Like if you, if you run up against a wall and something and it's an abstract wall where it's like, I don't even know what this is, but I need, I know I need to, to get there. How do you paint yourself out of that? Do you Google your way out of it? (laughs) Because, I mean, that's a legitimate problem. Because you're just like, what the hell? How am I supposed to fix this, you know? so Yeah, I mean, I definitely find that a lot. Like, I think just in in doing, especially, like, doing 3D animation, I think that was one of the, the things I was most afraid of before I started freelancing. Yeah. Like, not being good enough or ending up, like, freelancing somewhere and, like, you know, getting a task that I couldn't figure out how to do. And, sure. and I quickly realized that, you know, you're you're either, you're you're either, either going to end up in that situation, or you you know. But most of the time, nobody knows what's you know. Or some often it's something that um, not that it hasn't been done before, but you know, there's always a level of R and D that you have to figure out. And um, um, I think the again the the power of Cinema 4D is sort of that you can be pretty. It's it's pretty intuitive, and you can be very experimental in ways where you can sort of build things that shouldn't necessarily work, but it just magically does. Like, you know, you'll, I don't know if it, 
nest something within something that sort of works and you know and then you just sort of I don't know um, and and then with the help of tutorials or you know or guidance from friends you know just, just sort of figure it out but um, um, it, it varies a lot like these days it's, it's definitely more insular um, but yeah for instance like I've, I've been fortunate to work with you know people like Michael um, who is, is super knowledgeable about cinema and, and almost always, you know, had sort of an answer to, you know, figuring out, figuring out anything. Um, but. And Michael is also traditionally, I think he was traditionally came from drawing as well. From if I get, if I remember right, which is funny, we all kind of came from that realm. Yeah, yeah, I think he's he's completely self-taught as well. And um, yeah, a lot of us, I, you know, we, we watch these tutorials of like people on YouTube, you know. Yeah. yeah, to it's like the YouTube tutorial generation, you know. So yeah, right. But but I think it, anyone does that these days, you know, whether you, you're a freelancer, you work for a company. But it, you know, there's there's so much information out there, and I think that's that's what's so great as well that you yeah. know people are um, so good at sharing as a community. It's not so yeah. much like the visual effects community, for instance, is. They've been very sort of, they all have their proprietary software and they all like, they used to be very guarded about their process, you know, how they build stuff. Where where now motion graphics sort of like, if someone figure, figures out how to do something, you know, you can usually find a tutorial on it or, I don't know, people are just very good at sharing knowledge and, and sort of tips and... And I think it's, it's sort of beneficial to everybody. Oh, yeah. The people that open up those gates, like Andrew Kramer, for example, or something like that, yeah, like, yeah. shared it with the world. Um, those are the smart people, man, because made a killing off of that. You know, I imagine, I don't know, I don't know of his bank statements, but I imagine like opening that potential to that many people and sharing with them, like, you know, how to make certain things for their own personal projects or yeah. for their own productions or for their job and stuff. I and mean, that's great. You know? So yeah, I always found that when people hide or guard their stuff, it's like, you just, it's just proof that, um, like what you're doing isn't that significant. If you're that worried that somebody's going to take it from you. Yeah. Which is like something that I fight with sometimes because there's, uh, I find that if you post something and then instantly there's like a repeated version of that somewhere, like a redundant person. And I'm like, damn it, you're cheapening it, you know? But then I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's like, I don't own it. I don't know. That That's sort of, I don't know. Even, even just by seeing like your work, for instance, like that, that's going to happen no matter what, I think. Sure. You know, whether people know the process or not, or someone definitely, you know, there's always someone out there that will figure out how to replicate things. But yeah, I think it's sort of the, the, democratization of, of art in general is, is good, you know, it's sort of um, the, the idea is that anyone has the tools available to you, it's sort of like then there's, there's no moral excuse for not doing, you know, something with it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And this is like a, it's just, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Do you find that with um, the internet now too, and like just how everybody's work is out there that there's a bit of like um, like a hive mind that happens. I mean, this is something we talk about quite a bit too, where you know one project will come out and then another one will come out right after it or around that same time, and they're very much a derivative of one another. And yeah. It's just constantly that's... like, do you, what do you think that's doing to art in general? Like, I, I mean, I remember when I was growing up, like you would maybe find like art that I wanted to look at was like in a comic book uh, or my imagination or like 
you go to a library and maybe you're lucky you find like a cool book that has like some art that interests you. Um, the rest of it, you're just kind of, you're shit out of luck. Now people have like the watering holes of Pinterest and like all these different places where they get access to it, which is on the surface. It seems like, yeah, it's great, you know, but then I, then you look and there's a lot of redundancies and patterns and, and habitual things that happen in the trends of things. What are your thoughts on that? And the trends of the, the, the art and the art scene now on the internet? I mean, I guess, I don't know. Maybe this is more visible now because of the internet. Yes. I'm sure. I mean, obviously it is for sure. Um, um, I think, it, I don't know. It's, there's definitely certain trends. I think, I, I think, you know, if you talk specifically about motion graphics, it's, it, you know, it's definitely more evident than, than maybe other art forms. Just maybe just because there are so few sort of, um, outlets where, um, where people get to display their stuff or where, you know, there's motion offer and there's a few smaller sites, but there's not really like, it's sort of, if you've made it on motion offer, then you sort of made it, right? But Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great resource. But then again, like, that's, that's curated a certain way, so often that's like a certain style of stuff, and, you know, there, there's a plethora of other stuff out there. Um, and I, I guess it's all about how you use it. But I think, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say, but um, it's, I mean, it's definitely undeniably a lot of <laughs> similar projects out there. Um, and some of it's that, you know, default of, you know, companies maybe not trying to push for, for something new. And, you know, but I don't know, I've, I've done a lot of projects too where it's sort of, the brief is like, oh, do, do, do something like this thing. Right? Yeah. And how do you not do that? Because you're like, well, you're paying me and this is what you're asking for. Yeah. I mean, I think always try to do, I mean, even if you're ripping, <laughs> doing something that's derivative, you know, you, you try and make it your own or at least somewhat different, you know. And I think there's also, there's definitely a difference between doing something that's a certain style and doing something that's, you know, a complete copy of something. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, I think that's in the creator's choice, you know, so, which is difficult. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's like a, tr- it's like a thing that, um, I think we're all guilty of whether we know it or not. And that's why there's a lot of re- redundancies and work, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think when it comes to something like Pinterest, this is about like, about using it, right? I mean, that's sort of sounds pretentious too, but it's, um, yeah, if, if you're just looking at whatever, you know, it feeds you, which is, I mean, I find it so annoying now that there's so much, um, so many suggested pins. Like, I just want to see what whatever people I follow. Yeah, and be nice to turn that filter <laughs> off. Yeah, now there's, like, so much other noise, and um, um, I don't know. I think it's whatever you're, you're watching always sort of have a critical mind. Yeah. I honestly just use it as a database for myself, like not necessarily to find inspiration, but to sort of store inspiration that I find like other places. Yeah. Let's go back and access wherever I am. Yeah. I think the key is to think for yourself and to question, question things and question authority. Timothy Leary, I believe is the one that said that. I was listening to some tool last night. He came in there. I was like, yeah, Timothy Leary. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, question yourself. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> think, question, yeah. Question authority. Think for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's also I think it's also important like for for people that work in the industry to consume a lot of what's what's out there to sort of know what not to rebuff or what not to like you know what not to do because it's easy to sort of become insular to and not look at anything and think that you made the next big thing but it's yeah you know, someone else might have done it two yeah. years ago yeah exactly yeah so I guess it's like one foot in one foot out so. I think what we're getting at is like many, many different complexities and different levels of complexities in the different like realms at a high level as a high level freelance artist, like all these many things that it's important to be aware of, you know? And I think that's just something that you probably might not be super prevy and, and notice if you're say like working at a, um, like as a staff person at a pro- at a place because you're able to kind of, you know, re- release a little bit of that stress and strain, you know, by working, I think. Um, I mean, it varies a lot. And also just... It's true. It's, true. And it, it, it's so different from company to company. And yeah, it's true. Different cultures. I from, yeah, I know, <clears throat> I've worked for a lot of companies, especially around here, where they're very, like, sort of disconnected from what's going on around the industry. Um, and that can be, you know, a good, good or a bad thing, but... You know, for some people, it's just about making your clients happy, and I think there's there's definitely virtue in that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it all depends <laughs> on what you're looking for. It's a really, uh, it's, it's such a such a song and dance, man. I really swear, it's just like constantly all over the place, always trying to navigate these different waters and stuff. So it's just a. Yeah, it's something I found um, to be really quite unique, um, and it's something that becomes more and more um, complex, I guess. And it could just be like there's that um, that funny bit that Jerry Seinfeld does um, about the difference between like somebody at an exceptional level, you know, like let's say like the elite level of like a track star um, who gets a gold medal in comparison to like a silver at the Olympics and the difference is like, you know, like that, that, you know, so, and it's kind of even, uh, there's, I think with anybody in anybody's interest, there's extreme, uh, extreme examples of that, you know? And when you really push to that high level, you're dealing with like that level or it's just like, and then that, and just that right there, you know? And you know, you know what I'm saying? Is like the differences are so finite and small. I think when we were first interested in going freelance release, we just hope we get a job so we pay the bills, you know? Okay. <laughs> and now we're contemplating like the, the motions and the actions of the habits of trends that exist within our little, you know, confines of a community, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's easy to sort of be, um, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, what we're doing is sort of—it is sort of a very like selfish endeavor, right? You know, sort of. Yeah. We, we want to pick our own jobs. We want to be artistically satisfied and all the stuff. And is it selfish or the? Is it? I guess oh, it is. Yeah. I think to a certain extent. Self-indulgent. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think it's it's or more. Um, I. I, well, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily too much to ask. I think it's more like once you discover that, that the possibility is out there for you, I think it's sort of hard to go back to doing something else. Yeah, the freedom um, is so yeah. so good. You just, yeah. 
or just doing something that you sort of find satisfying is, you know, then it's hard to go back to doing like, <laughs> shitty jobs. But <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's and also, you know, where we're at in life, like I mean, when I, or you know, when I was younger, I just I didn't care so much, you know. It's, but I think now it's just. I don't know. It's it's just become more, or it definitely fills up more and more space and time. And I think you know, I thought you know when I was start, gonna start freelancing that you know I would have more time on my hands, you know, travel more and all this stuff. <laughs> it ends up being like the exact opposite. But, <laughs> yeah, you know. it's probably you need to stop hanging out with me. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a workaholic. I think um, we talked a little bit about our admiration for Tom Ford, uh, director and designer and all around awesome, badass guy. Um, and we, we talked quite a bit about his recent film, Nocturnal Animals, but then I started getting quite obsessed with him and started studying him. And I found a lot of similarities in him and I, and I, things that I really strive towards. And he was saying one thing I felt that you would probably connect with as well. And probably some, a lot of people that listen to this is that, he said in one of his things, I'm paraphrasing, if you're interested, there's a there's a great documentary, just like Google documentary, Tom, um, Tom I Ford. I, I saw that YouTube one. Did I send it to you? Uh, I can't remember. Maybe not. But yeah. you, you, you also consume a lot of media too, and we'll talk about that in a minute because you watch a lot of stuff and <laughs> want to talk about movies and all that stuff, um, media and movies and stuff. But um, what, what, but what Tom said, which I felt was really interesting, is he said, um, and this is cool coming from him because he's still quite humble. I think is that he said like, you could be a better designer than me and you could be a better like craftsman or artist or whatever. Um, but you won't work harder than me. Like I'm, I have a work ethic that's unlike anybody. And like, I'll just, I work hard, you know, like, and I'll put in that work. And I, I, I felt like when he was saying that, um, I, I, I firmly believe that there's always somebody better than you no matter who you are, I wish you do. Um, I I mean, I think it's, he's sort of, he's an interesting director. He's sort of mastered another craft. Yeah. Started making film. Um, and I think there's, um, like people like Stephen McQueen, for instance, who who was also a traditional artist before he started making films. Yeah. Like he made, you know, uh, uh, shame and, uh, 12 years to slay, um, and hunger. And those are all like very, bold like films and uh, I think both both him and Tom seem to have sort of uh, um, gained like um, um, what's it called um, mastery at a different perspective maybe yeah or just like confidence as, as artists yeah. like be- before starting you know filmmaking and it sort of makes them you know for for both of them, like their both their 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 first films are you know don't necessarily look like you know like you know the single man is is amazing. I yeah. is, is is amazing first film, amazing amazing first film. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean that's something I think is quite interesting. I think in regards to that's a great point you bring up too, is that both of these guys and a lot of people too is they just translate their mastery and their formula for mastery or their formula for success which with Tom Ford, he was saying like, you know, I might not be the best designer, but I can, I'll work harder than everybody. Yeah. And and then you hear from, you know, statements from everybody else. Like, yeah, he's just, he's insanely, uh, 
like hardworking. And I was listening to this, uh, this amazing podcast with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I think it was, um, off camera podcast, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. See so off camera, uh, with Jake, uh, off camera with Jake Gyllenhaal. That's what it was. And it was this amazing, um, interview. I love that guy. He's really good at interviewing. Yeah. I, I cannot stand a bad interviewer. It drives me nuts. <laughs> And uh, I have problems myself. I'm learning. I'm sorry, guys. I'm still developing as an interviewer. But um, but Jake really kind of like unfolded and opened so many times and so many levels with this guy. And he was talking about how before he had worked with David Fincher, um, yeah. how much his craft had changed after working with Fincher because Fincher is a very... Um, meticulous very meticulous from i mean i've never met him or worked with him but everything that i've studied which i studied a lot on him he's very meticulous and very methodical and has a very uh intense process and i think that's kind of along the same realm of how tom ford works probably too is very methodical meticulous and really poignant and when you watch his films like um you know uh nocturnal animal like yeah you can see um those different nuances that are happening and, uh, you know, on first pass of the film, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss a lot of his subtleties. But on the second pass, you catch them all and it just kind of hit you right in the face. You're like, wow, like right. they're almost blatant at that point. But then uh, it, they're really, yeah, it's really cool and really enjoy those kind of films and stuff. But right. and, and that film sort of hits home a lot, right? Because it's, it's a lot about like, artistry and about like finding your your path as an artist or choosing like the conventional life or yeah or, or the other thing and love um, too and what love is and right, how precious right. it is you know and how uh, authentically unique it is to be a human and to be in love and how special that is to have that unconditional love and how pure that is and i mean that's a that's a story that's worthy of being told and it's been told you know age on on age you know like forever forever um, but yeah, I listened to a lot of and watched a lot of interviews with him on, on the subject of making that film. And I think one thing I would say too about him that I thought was interesting and we, some of you discussed too is, and it's something that you could apply yourself is like how personal he puts on things. Like a single man was basically him. Right, he's a right. personal, it's like a personal memoir that he's captured basically in the film form. And nocturnal is, is, is all those characters are different facets of him. That's what the, the actors were saying, you know, like he would basically act out certain roles and parts for them because that was basically him dealing with like different turmoil and trauma in his life or different parts of his life. That's what I got from, from people. saying. Yeah. I just, I, you know, like, I think what I'm getting at here is we consuming all this stuff. We talk about this stuff, but we're, I think what we're trying to do is take little bits and pieces from the things that we really like or the people that we admire from afar and like slowly ingest those into our own working system and think about like, you know, how can we use this? in our own flow to help us get better at whatever it is we might want to get better at or whatever. So, yeah, right. I guess that's the a, a proper use of using the media of like consumption. So, yeah. And, and, you know, obviously you can see like, like these people who, or you, you can tell that, you know, even where he has a certain aesthetic, right. So for, you know, when he made his first film, for instance, like when you look at, um, like the cinematography, everything is, is very cinematic and very sort of very beautiful, which is, is interesting, right? For because that that's not something that, that sort of comes natural, right? But it, that yeah. means that you know maybe his design sense is sort of you know transferred in, in a different way as well. 
tra it's transitioned perfectly like really yeah. well yeah which is very rare as you mentioned i mean it's that's the first sign of like a a bad designer or director it's just like oh this just looks visually horrible like you know like this looks like shit it's not framed well or the camera's all over the place and right, right. you look at something like when you really dissect a master scene or a master film um the other day i was watching every frame of painting i believe or lessons from the screenplay one of those those youtube things um uh, which are always i, I really enjoy those because they're quite interesting yeah. to see a whole different <laughs> well, i mean we talked about this quite a bit but yeah um, there's one that uh, i think it was uh tony zoo's one so that's yeah, nice yeah. yeah um he did the one where he breaks down um the power plays that happen in silence of the lambs the end oh, okay. and and uh and um you know when i first watched that film as a kid i was like wow this movie is so intense i think a lot of it just went over my head right and you know it's good and there's something about that that's so good and then when as an adult going back and then watching it studying it and then seeing these uh analysis is uh analyses is that the proper yeah um, right seeing that and then kind of going like wow okay look at how he's using the camera and look where the eye line is and look where the composition is and where, where the edit is and the way that they're placing things and then if what he's saying in this in this uh, analysis is true then this is just genius because it's you're thinking about every little nuance and, and you're taking the written form from the script being translated by very well crafted actors and you're yeah. using cameras and moving picture to depict it perfectly with a master level of attention <laughs> to detail and that is like for I'm me sure that's, that's the best shit ever you know right i mean i'm sure that's the intent i mean i have a little bit of a problem with some of these <laughs> yeah i think it's not so much let it out chris tell the world well i think you know, and, and he's he's very good. There's what's that other guy, Merrick Ryder, and all these. Yeah, guys. And there, there's 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 a there's couple that are really like, big, very articulate and good. I think it's I think it's for me. It's more. Um, I enjoy seeing like people telling about their process. Like I love behind the scenes stuff, and I love like watching like David Fincher explaining about you know why he makes certain choices. What I don't enjoy so much is other people explaining to you why. <laughs> yeah, because they don't know. Yeah. Yeah, or for me, that's just subjective. Mm -hmm. and, and not to say, like, some of those essays are pretty good and some some of their analyses are probably spot on, but I think sometimes, you know, it's they're sort of injecting their own opinion. I think, for me, what's, what's most important about, or what's good about art is also that we can have different opinions, and it's not just, there's so much, like, clickbait out there now that's like this is the reason why this is so this is the reason why this movie sucks and this is you know <laughs> yeah tons ten, of clip ten yeah. points why this is the best movie ever or you know it's you know the i think that's one of like the saddest thing about sort of aggregated media today like sites like rotten tomatoes or whatever if that yeah. can defer someone from watching something just because it, it have has like a percentage level of you know of reviews you know, I think it's it's so important when it comes to art to sort of make your own opinion. And yes, yes. Yeah, there's a lot of authority basically happening online. One of the movies that came out that a lot of people were sending me, like, watch it, watch it, watch it. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll watch it. And then it was um, that documentary on one of my favorite horror films, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's called oh, Room yeah, 237. I, and it drove me nuts. I couldn't even watch it. I was like, you kidding me? Yeah, uh, it, was, it just sounded like a bunch of people that never made a film, don't know about film, don't understand how films are made. 
and they kind of just like thought that Stanley was like this. They just looked into it so far, and I was like, "You guys are just right. You guys are just you're wanting it to. You're almost becoming like you're you're like a weird like religious fanatic or something like that, where you're trying to see like weird stuff and patterns that don't exist. You're just wanting it so badly. It just drives me nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I found that he found all these crockpot theories that aren't necessarily like grounded in reality or sort of well um, argued either. And oh, it, yeah. it's just so exploitative of the title, right? Because the only reason why that so many or people watch that movie is because so many people love the original film, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. I don't know. No, I was, I was like thoroughly disappointed. I'm like, are you kidding me? What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. And then that gets into the point where it's like, yeah, a lot of these people are speaking as authorities, but they don't really know. And that leads me to the next thing, which I've had many really heated arguments and, and debates with friends about, which I think is great to discuss, is like the relevancy of critiques, critics, yeah. uh, people living off. I always think of them almost like, and people will get pissed at me, whatever. I have my own opinions and I'll probably change my opinion as we all do. And I'll, you know, I'll look back on this and go, oh, what was I saying? But for right now, the, my feeling on like film critics and all this stuff at Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, the rating systems, all that kind of stuff, I feel that a lot of times when I would like encounter like a film critic or somebody that writes about films, I just feel like they're so irrelevant because uh, sometimes they do have a definite um, role in the whole like ecosystem of this kind of stuff. But a lot of it I feel like is irrelevant because they never, for the most part, most of them are too chicken shit to go make their own art. And so they just kind of live off of like destroying other people's art or like critiquing them or having some kind of like elitist perspective on it drives me nuts. I was like, dude, you don't even know how to make a film, you know? (laughs) How dare you even complain about it? (laughs) I I think it's sort of, I can appreciate like people that, that write informed, you know, reviews or critiques of film. I think it's, it's more when it's reduced to binary, like, yeah, or not good, then it's, then it's reductive. You know, it's, you know, because a lot of reviews sort of aren't necessarily just about saying whether it's good or bad, but it's sort of um, telling you, like, the basics of, of what, you know, what themes are explored. Some people have, like, really interesting writing about, you know, about films, but it's just once it's reduced to, you know, just good or bad, then it's just not helpful at all. And I think it's... These days, you know, with so much stuff on the internet, it's just most of, so much is you know clickbait or it's it is big time or um, more extreme than they need to be, just for the sake of you know getting hits. And I think that's unfortunate for sure. Yeah, yeah, it does kind of come down to this yes or no gray, gray or black and white kind of world. And I'd say I'd equate it to like almost like the sensation of like okay, if you smoked a joint. <laughs> And then somebody's like, well, you know, when you smoke a joint, you're going to have this feeling happen. You're going to do this thing. You're going to have blah, blah, blah. And then everybody's going to just, I think with like movies, a good movie will take you somewhere, you know, it'll transfer you. And I think sometimes it's really harmful to have somebody's opinions like placate your experience because they might've been like molested as a kid or something. And their perspective is completely warped and distorted from you when you watch that movie and they go off on tangents and like unleashing all kinds of weird baggage or something and you're like whoa what's this you know and and that's a very personal journey for them to take and it's not necessarily the one that's for everybody you know so 
Yeah. But we're getting into the territory of like freedom of speech and stuff, obviously. And that's, uh, you know, I can't fight against that because it's really quite important. I just think it's mostly a matter of just how to seek out the truth. And I think the truth really comes from your own in, in, in initial thing of what you like, you know, like, yeah. like last night I was rocking out the tool and I was like, yeah, it's probably a lot of people that don't like tool, you know, but I don't give a fucking shit, you know, like I love tool, like it just it's, it has a part in my childhood and it's like a part of like what I like to listen to. And I don't listen to it all the time yeah. or like, I'll listen to Like I went from that to listening to like heavy drum and bass or something, you know, it's like, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if it, if I'm sitting in my office jamming out, having good time, then who cares? You know what people I mean, think? Yeah. I think that's what's most important like, yeah. you know, as an individual or an artist, like is your own opinion because that's, you know, that's all you got, right? And I, I think it's important to be critical. I mean, it's okay to, I mean, even with our own work or other people's work, even stuff that we love, you can still be critical. Yeah, of course. Critique, you know. You even, should be able to, to claw at it, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. As long as you're not being reductive, you know, it's, it's sort of easy to just dismiss something like right off the bat. Yeah, I've done that many times and uh, regrettably, regrettably, you know, like, or like I'll try to watch something. I'm like, oh, yeah. I can't, I can't even do this. I can't watch I this. Know, you know, like, so. you're such a, uh, <laughs> I'm very hot and cold. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of shitty like films. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> my, a lot of my friends, even like Anthony Burns, he's really good at just watching really crappy movies. And yeah, yeah I, 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 I don't know. I think you guys learn a lot from him. I think so. I think, I think there is, I mean, I mean, just like, you know, it's like when you watch a bad Christopher Nolan movie, so you, you excuse me, oh, you know, it's like, but it, it's, it's Christopher Nolan, right? But then on the other hand, like, when you see a good, like, Let's say a, M. Night Shyamalan, actually, because Christopher Nolan, people are like, hey, what? <laughs> say M. M. Night Shyamalan, he's been hitting a lot of, like, grounders lately. So. <laughs> well, I think, I think that, that's different, but, like, if you see like a decent movie from a bad director, it's, it's different. Right? That's true. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. I unexpected. Yeah. I think there's so many, like, there's a, there's a lot of bad movies out there with, you know, with that have like glimmers of something like something good, but sure. uh, um, I don't know. It, it it's, all a, depends. it's so easy and, to, as a viewer and a consumer, just sit back on our like comfortable couches and to be like, yeah, yeah, it's not very good, you know, and you think about like, you know, just just think about the amount of work it took us to make Epoch, just the two of us, you know, like the amount of effort and time and how, yeah. Yeah, like just to make a film. But it doesn't matter though, right? Because at the end, it's like, that's something that as a self-truth, you have to realize that like, um, well, it's a really fine line. It depends on your goals and aspirations. If you want to be like a successful studio director then it does matter what people think of your work and you have to be cautious of that but for us when we're making passion projects i think the moment for me at least the moment that we released like either of our films it's like well they're no longer ours anymore it's quite sad kind of like the world owns it and 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 then it is what it is you know i think tom york said it about when radiohead releases their albums they have the same melancholy kind of experience it's the worst part of the creative experience almost it's like well now like it's going to go in the hands of like youtube comment people you know like just shitty people but then at the same time it's going to go in the hands of amazing people that are really enjoy it you know yeah so but i think the thing i realized with it is like you 
if you, if you if you can't take the the bad comments and you can't take the good ones, you just can't take any of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you well, just kind of let it be. It's okay. You know, I have, not everyone should love everything. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's true. It's good, there's diversity of opinion. You know, as long as people don't necessarily talk too much shit. But <laughs> yeah. I it's, mean, if it's, it's if it's pointed blood. and real and 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 it, and it makes sense, you know, and it has like some meaning behind it and it actually is communicated right, I think then it's yeah. like okay, you're giving a proper critique. But I think a lot of times people are just like speaking. It's weird because the internet is is all it's like recorded. It's a documentation of what you're doing, <laughs> and people out there are like, what do you think? Like nobody is going to like recognize you or see. Like you can't like hide from all that stuff you know you have a public profile somewhere that it's not that hard to find people you know right. so if you're gonna go and troll people it's like oh well then whatever right. it's, so, it's just weird sometimes what people will say <laughs> yeah yeah or uh yeah it's 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 um i i, I just kind of i don't read comments anymore it's unfortunate because i'm sure there's a lot of nice people that would like to have more information or something that's why i think we make our behind the scenes and stuff we just kind of release them and go okay and then move on you know move forward and stuff so right, but right. how do you go through not getting jaded because we talk a lot about being critical and that's a fine line between being critical and self-critical and then not being jaded so what do you do to not be jaded, to be continually like excited and energized about what it is that you're doing and to be creatively stimulated? Um, well, I think I just try not to be in a situation where, where that happens. I think I used to be very jaded when, um, when I was at my old job and it was mostly my own fault. I think now it's more, you know, just trying to see the opportunities that, you know, we're trying to, you know, collaborate with people like yourself or, you know, work work with people that I respect and admire, and um, that I sort of have know have like you know um, similar uh, similar aesthetic or, or aesthetic that I like. And, um, I don't know. It's you know there there's certain things that are that are out of your hands working with clients sometimes, and I think I'm still. I don't know. There's still a lot of companies that I like to work with that I haven't worked with, and sometimes you just don't know. It's like a mixed bag, but it's. What are some companies you want to work with? Um, or who? I mean. I don't know. <laughs> You're saying. Or like directors or anybody that you would love to, because like I would love to work with Tom Ford right now. Like I'd love that. It'd be so cool to just just work alongside him in some capacity. You know, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's very putting me on the spot. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there's got to be some, like what about like David Fincher, maybe or no? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you know I haven't done that much film work um, yet, but I would definitely love to do do more of that. Um, I think that's um, that's certainly um, or or yeah, an area that I'd like to. Expand on, but I think also like another thing like you were talking about earlier is is like communication. Is as long as you're being like as transparent as possible and communi- communicating well with your client, I think you can sort of avoid a lot of bad situations. Um, you know, and um, yeah, just try to sort of ex- explain what you're doing to to the best of your ability and why you're doing it. Yeah. Um, while you're making the creative choices you're making. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> communication is really key, obviously. And too, if we talk about going back to freelance and stuff, like keeping a really clear. I remember like nightmares where people would be like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm working. And like, well, what are you doing? And it's like, I'm working. What do you, <laughs> what do you want me to say? And just because I'm not in the desk sitting at the chair, uh, doesn't mean that I'm not necessarily working. Like you should judge yeah. me by my output at the end of the day, not by like. If I, if I sit in my pajamas and I grind away for four hours with intensive thought, yeah, I'm always in my pajamas too. Like always, like I'm literally in them right now. I just comfortable wear. It's funny for Christmas. My wife's like, what do you want? I'm like, I just want some like really comfortable sweatpants. <laughs> it's like getting super old now. Like, <laughs> I like, I want, I want to get some stuff for my NSX and I want to have comfortable sweatpants. <laughs> it's like uh, the, just getting older. I'm only 33. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> sweatpants <laughs> gift. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, dude, comfortable sweatpants or sweat, comfortable like jammies. They got me. They thought it was funny. And the, the joke's on them because I thought it was even cooler. They, My wife and daughter got me this Darth Vader onesie. <laughs> it's so, so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did I send you the picture of that? Yeah. It's yeah. so stupid. <laughs> uh, so funny. Yeah, we have a funny sense of humor at the house. So. <laughs> But, um, yeah, what's that? Do you work in that too? No, I don't work in that. No, it's for special occasions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should probably put it on soon cause I haven't worn it since Christmas. So I should probably put it on just like yeah. randomly come downstairs with it on. The girls would flip out. I think it's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's really weird seeing like a six, two, like adult man in a onesie though. It's just like, this yeah. is, it's, it's all wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a really odd, <laughs> but I like it. Who are some of your, uh, your idols? Who are some of like some of the people that, and do you have idols and what do you look for in an idol? Um, I think there's definitely, there's a lot of directors that, that I respect. And I think even before I got into motion graphics, I always been sort of interested in film and, um, I don't know. I think just people that sort of, you know, push the boundaries in whichever medium you know they're working. And I think um, to go back to <laughs> the Pinterest thing, like I think one of the, the, the cool things about um, the accessibility of, of seeing like so much stuff out there now is that you know I can appreciate a lot of um, people working in other art forms. So. I mean, as far as directors, there's people like um, a big Kurosawa fan. Yeah, a lot of his his work is so like influential and, and sort of you know, before his time. Um, but yeah. I, I watch a lot of films like from I don't know, from all over the world. Um, you consume a lot of media. I'm like, have you seen that? You're like, yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I very rarely do I ask you something that I've seen that you haven't seen, and when I do, I'm like, yeah, sucker chew on that no, I because I, I don't watch it nearly as much as you do so but also just like other artists like um, like there's um, this fashion designer named Harris and Herpen. Um she's a Dutch designer and she was like one of the first people to do um, sort of 3D printed generative shapes um, incorporated in clothes and she just does this sort of beautiful like intricate like um uh, dresses that are made of, of um, 
these these shapes that are, are made generally. Uh, What's her name? Iris Van Herpen. Iris Van Herpeth. Herpen H E R P E N. Another person is like uh, Hadid, uh the, the architect. Like she does a lot of sort of generative stuff too. Like it's all within sort of the mm. the same aesthetic. Um, but oh, that's cool. Uh, uh, yeah, I've seen this before. Use yeah. it as a reference for a particular uh, yeah. project. And if you go on Pinterest, you'll you know you'll see lots of them everywhere for sure. What is it that you like about Iris's work, for example? I like that that it's sort of um, it's both like simple, like intricate. A lot of it, it's um, it's sort of you'll have like a certain silhouette or something, but one. When you get up close, you see like how like detailed it is. Like she does a lot of um, where she'll print out like a certain shape and then she will then sew it into whatever she's making. Mm. So old school, but um, so it's not just like you know she prints something out and it's you know someone puts it on. It's it's sort of like a mix of, of new and old techniques. Um, but um, I just find her stuff to be like. You know, nowadays a lot of people three um, D printed stuff and things that are geometric, but I think hers is sort of you know a little bit further further ahead than than masses. Yeah, she's definitely ahead of the curve, she, and I think that seems like she's getting pulling muse from a lot of different things, and you know, probably things that are coming from nature or her own personal like childhood influences or something maybe try to get her on the show if she's it looks like she's quite prolific too yeah i mean it's interesting like she did um i forget like she did uh or she she worked for um like one of some renowned fashion designer in new york where she did sort of very traditional training so she's very like traditionally trained and sort Mm, of that's good learned her craft before she sort of started venturing out and i think that's what's interesting that she has like very formal training but by, by sort of knowing um, what came before her, you know, she's sort of been able to to venture out and do something that's that's really innovative and different. That's awesome. Yeah, because sometimes if you learn traditions, then you get kind of lost in the uh, minutia of continuing that repetitious pattern of um, continual repetition. But that's really cool. I think it's also really important as any craftsman or woman to learn the foundations and, and, and the, yeah. the, like the, if you understand the foundations and the rules then you can know like how to break the rules, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is something that I being self-taught on uh, so many things. It's like, I kind of was like, Oh, I want to do that now, you know? And then I would just yeah. <laughs> find these like oddities that would happen. But I think at the same time, I think if you're, it's fine if you're, your goal and you're focusing on what it is that you're trying to do. But that's cool. Yeah, I, I think that's with, with most things in life, right? You sure. should put in put in the time. And I think especially when it comes to whether it's design or, or knowing a piece of software, you know, even if you go to school, like you can go to the best art school, but like being good at, at a certain type of software, you know, you've got to do that on your own time. So about how you, <laughs> um, I don't know, you know, are, at school, they'll introduce you to it, you know, and they'll show you, you know, what you can do, but you know, to, to really learn it, you got to do it on your own. And there's still no way around that. Yeah, you have to take that, that first step into that journey and take yeah. the time and, and dedicate to yourself. I always say, like, 
Uh, if you're ever going to like spend money or invest on any, anything, if you invest on yourself, like it's, 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 it's cash well spent or time well spent because it's good to invest in yourself. You'll find that you'll be happier, you know, and taking that risk or, you know, um, going and trying that job or applying for that college or taking that risk on that one project or whatever it might be. Um, sometimes you might fall on your face and feel like it's a failure, but it's like, if you're not going to take a risk in yourself, nobody else will, you know, and then you only really grow from taking those like extreme jumps, you know? Yeah. So worst that can happen is that you fail. That's not the end of the world. Yeah. I always recite the the phrase from Wayne Gretzky where it's like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, you know? So, and that's a very true statement for everybody. And that's what makes him like one of the best at what he does is because he had that mindset state of just the go, 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 make it happen and focus, you know, and like have pure intention and in everything that you do, you know, do you, yeah. do you have particular dreams and goals? Do you, are you a, like a goal oriented? Do you write down like your, dreams and lists and all that kind of do you work yeah. like that or do you not no. um i think i i uh, i think long term i would like to make a film at some point in my life or something i i don't know i i sort of wrestle with what i i want to do really like with motion design as well and um I've sort of had opportunities to, to direct things and I think those weren't necessarily good for me necessarily. Like I think I would be a terrible direct director for hire just to go to random commercials. Like I wouldn't be good at that because I think, you know, it's sort of that stuff takes so much out of you. And unless it's something uh, that you have a certain control over creatively, I think it's, you know, you're, you end up spending so much time, that um, you know that in the end it might not be worth it, on, you know, unless the, the final thing is, is what you really want it to be. But I'd like to make a film at some point, like a film, you know, film with actors and like yeah, 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 the traditional film style. Yeah, something like that. I think that's sort of even before <laughs> I got into motion design, that's always something that I sort of had an interest in. Like back then. When I was in Denmark, I think at the time there was there was one film school and they took in probably like fifty people every two years. Yeah, um, and that just didn't really seem like an option at the time. And I was, you know, I had no experience or anything. And what's holding I you think, back then? I don't know. I mean, I think yourself. I'm, yeah, probably. I think I'm I'm more like of of the idea of. Um, of doing things my my own way, which would probably take longer, you know. But sort of learning, uh, you know, to you know, starting off maybe doing a short first, and then maybe maybe that <laughs> that could lead to something. But um, like I, when I started freelancing, I I tried to do the short, and it was, um, you know. I figured, oh, okay, it will take a month, so I'll spend a month doing this, and of course, then it'll take <laughs> way longer. Yeah. And you know, I went around shooting this thing one day at like Ocean Beach in San Francisco, and in my tiny kitchen, like I, I bought this green screen uh, studio set on Amazon, and <laughs> I shot this in my kitchen. It was, you know, it ended up being pretty terrible, I think. Uh, and that's, <laughs> yeah. 
never really amounted to something. But I think that's a lot of people I'm sure listening to this have had similar uh, encounters with failure at certain ranges. Yeah, myself included. It's it's definitely something that you know takes so long to do anything, you know, especially yeah. if you're doing whatever visual effects on it and stuff like that. It's, um, but I don't know. I would like I'd like to do something more narrative at least at some point. Have you but, written stories before? Uh, I have, um, but nothing, um, nothing that I've necessarily shared or, or made to something specific. Like, and since I've been doing motion design for so long now, it's sort of always been, been on the back burner or as like a, I don't know, potential thing <laughs> sure. to do someday. It's a big mountain to climb. I think if you take it like one step at a time and you kind of like, chip away at it maybe like you see how i'm doing the reading that book like yeah. 15 minutes in the morning 15 minutes at night closing and opening my days with it could be something interesting i know from what i've read that david lynch writes a lot from his dreams and stuff you know so just like capturing a lot of those like subconscious thoughts or thoughts yeah. that exist in the ether you know are kind of interesting um, i don't know what your writing style and method is and stuff and what your goals are i think with this is like it's such a it's like almost like you're wanting to scale K2 or something and it's such a dangerous path and it's such a high path and such a right. long journey that you have to get your body conditioned for just the extreme harshness that that environment puts you through in order to make it. Let's say get let's look at like the path of like Vince Gilligan or whatever the writer from Breaking Bad like following what little I know about his career is just like you know, uh, the amount of years that he's worked on and making uh, episodes of, say, like sci- or of X-Files or something like that and right. developing himself as a, a writer for film or for television and stuff and understanding the cadence of speed and edits and, yeah. um, you know, characters yeah. that people resonate and care about and stuff. And crafting a thing that actually makes something good, it just takes so much time. And, yeah, I, I, I mean, what's interesting is that we have similar goals. And, and I think the problem is, is that, the current path that we're on already takes so much energy and time out of us yes, that at the um, end of the day, it's like, well, what the hell's left? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's also, um, I think it, it depends on the approach, right? Because sure. there's sort of, you know, we're, we're operating in this realm of, of sort of very visual effects driven things or, or, you know, pieces where, that will, you know, creating anything in, in that realm just takes so long where if you're doing something strictly narrative, it's, it doesn't have to be so complex visually necessary or you can go shoot something. Um, of course, it, you know, has to be interesting and good, but, but just doing that is, is not so hard. You know, it's um, like you, you've seen um, Press Pause Play, right? The documentary. No, you sent it to me and I still haven't watched it yet. Wait, maybe I have watched it. Is that what the one with Moby's in there? Yeah, Moby's in yes, there. Yes, okay, I have seen this one, yeah. I think it was another one that you mentioned to watch and I haven't had a chance to. Yeah, and it's sort of, I mean, one of the things they talk about is, is the democratization of art and how all these tools are available to people now and whether that's good or bad, you know, that you know anyone can, whether it's in film or music, whatever, like there's all these tools available and there's all these, you know, rookies <laughs> making making content yeah know? iphone films and stuff yeah. yeah 
But at the same time, it's, it's sort of like you see people like Dana Dunham, like who shot her, her first feature out of 5D, you know, and now she has her own HBO show. So it's, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of opportunity out there, you know, if, if you know what you want to do and if, you know, um, if you work hard, but, um, I think it all depends. Like right now, I'm, I'm also like fine with, with, you know, working in the field that I'm doing. And I think mostly, uh, like short term goal is more just to create, in, you know, keep creating sort of an interesting body of work that will sort of sustain me for a while to get, get more interesting work um hopefully yeah definitely and i think we're i mean particularly like right now we're doing some pretty cool stuff with some pretty cool properties that were you know a very small percentage of people even allowed to work on these things so it's actually quite a blessing you know which is really cool and that's always nice you know so a good a good spot to be also creatively challenged um and stimulated as well which is great as well so but um, yeah, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about um, some of these films, like the passion films, but also like talk about like Void, what was Void all about? Um, we'll talk a little bit about Echoes and we'll maybe talk a little bit about the two we've done together and then we'll, I got a couple other ones too. So, But what was, well, what was Void? Like what was well, your thought process with Void and what were you doing with that? Well, basically that was uh, the bastard child of, of the shirt that I was making first. Um, so that that short that I initially started making, uh, well, like three and a half years ago, um, like it just, it wasn't, the footage wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And like, you know, I, I kept working on it for like a long time. Whenever I had time to sort of put in the work, like I was sort of over what I had already made. So I kept remaking it and remaking it and, uh, never finishing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it just, it just became such a, pain in the ass and then eventually you know or I was so attached to some of the things that I had made or I just felt like oh I spent so much time like creating these things that you know at least I should do something with it and then so I ended up making this this 3D short and I think the narrative sort of gets lost on most people but it's sort of about that creative process where there's these different scenarios and every scenario starts out like this sort of white in this white pristine um, um, environment and then this, this black void sort of uh, uh, emerges sort of as like that, that little like um, thing like in the back of your mind whenever you're creating something that, that keeps telling you that it's or that, that sense of doubt that it's not good enough and mm it just kind of became like a manifestation of that. Um, so, um, I'm glad it's over now or it's whatever it is. <laughs> Did you feel um, like you accomplished what you were after? No, not at all, but it was <laughs> good exercise though. Yeah, it was a good exercise. Like I, I learned, um, a lot of things while, while working on it, but, um, it was incredibly unsatisfying, you know, <laughs> even though this is supposed to be like a passion project, but, uh, um, but yeah, you know, I learned X particles while doing it. And, um, <laughs> you kind of, sometimes you have to go through that pain though, right? In order to get there. Yeah. You just keep and, going. And also just like, and sometimes realizing that, especially when you're doing something that's, that's a bit more ambitious, that it, it always helps to have collaborators because when you're doing everything by yourself, it's yeah. sort of, 
you might be able to do it, but there's probably someone who can do it better. And like, I'm not the best person at shooting stuff or <laughs> uh, like roto and a lot of things, but you know, I can do it. But you know, it would probably be better if someone else did it. Um, yeah. Sometimes like the best projects are the sum of all different parts from different yeah, people's strengths, yeah. you know, and yeah. breaking those down. Yeah. That's what I think. Um, I think that's what we complement one another. Well, I think with our own creative processes, when we make things together, which I think yeah. like, it's, it's more or less like counting on one another. And I think the accountability, um, I think we could probably go both do different versions of our own interpretations of none or epoch. Right. Maybe they'd be okay, but I think together it makes it stronger. So for sure, for sure. And I think wow. that there's a there's a cool process with that. And I think sometimes certain art and the experience of, of those I think is important to be shared, you know, and shared with people to make making them with one another. And I think it's that's important. I think it's a cool it's an important yeah. process, you know. Yeah, and it's good just to get like different perspective sometimes because you know you can be so so much in your own head or there might have been things that you didn't think about you know that you know it just sort of helps to bounce ideas back and forth you know both yeah creatively and technically also keeps i think it's like a lot of it a lot of it i've now noticed was just like accountability though it's like if i know you're on the other end waiting for something i'm like fuck right <laughs> but I'll, I'll slack on myself a little bit but like if there's somebody else i'm like fuck i gotta get this done you know i gotta get this yeah. ready that's and, true and that actually helps because it, it turns up the productivity clock i think a lot and it makes it so it's like okay and i think we when we decided to do these films we're like okay we're going to give ourselves this much time let's see if yeah. we can do it and then we were kind of like pushing ourselves to you know i think um my friend chris ironman said it really perfectly one time we were talking about the insanity of making work that you feel is somewhat progressive in your own right is like yeah. it should be on the fringe of in, near insanity but like <laughs> you know it's almost obtainable but like you're you're unaware like you're not sure if it is right that's, that's usually like the best place it's unfortunate because it's like a state of ultimate stress and horrible feeling, yes. but, but it's, yes. it's really sad that that's where like a really good amount of work comes from, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting because sometimes like, you know, when you're in that moment of stress, it feels terrible, but it sometimes like yields better results or more interesting results. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to be like when I was at my old job, I think it's also just, you know, when you're a staff employee and stuff like you're, uh, you're sort of more aware of these things, and when you have to work late, you're, I was, you know, you're constantly bitching about those things, and it feels um, different, I guess. But I was, I was all always about like process and doing like doing things the right way, and um, I think it's sort of, I mean, it's definitely been unique, like the way that, that we have worked, and which definitely. Uh, I think requires a certain amount of trust just because, you know, we've been bouncing back files back and forth and like, um, <laughs> or just like, you know, especially uh, like in, in visual effects pipelines, for instance, it's very, where you're very much like, um, usually people have like a shot they're responsible of or something like where we've been sort of, it's been sort of very fluid, you know, yeah. We share uh, almost everything. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh, pass that back over to me. Like when we we're working right. on Epoch, I remember we'd be like, Oh, like if something wasn't working that you knew you could do better, it would just, Oh, here's a version of the file. Take it. Right. And you'd save a newer version and like, okay, great. Or like 
we'd make, um, I don't know how many times we made the shaders on these planets. I mean, every shot had to basically recreate the shaders for each shot. And it's just like, um, one of us would learn a little new something about making a new shader or something. We'd go in and try it or move it slightly and go, Oh, it's a lot better there. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was a very organic process, which I think, yeah, it's, uh, you can't, I mean, you can't do without that trust. I don't think it would work, you know. And it's definitely, you know, or when doing a project like this, it's definitely not necessarily like the most efficient, but it sort of yield probably yields better results in the end. This is sort of it's hard to um, because again, the proper way of doing it is it's, again like design everything, then you. Um, uh, then you produce it, right? But it's with the back and forth, I think, you know, we kept sort of making things better and even like having to do a lot of re-renders and redoing things. It's just sort of, you constantly have to, you know, reevaluate stuff like until you don't have more time, right? Yeah, we basically ran out of time. I mean, because projects are never really done. They're just due, yeah. really, you know? So, and I think that's another thing that helps. Um, and that's why I love working in collaborations because I feel like, uh, just, yeah, I mean, you're accountable, you have to be more accountable and, and you're relying on one another to kind of push forward. And I think anything significantly great was usually produced by a group of people or a, a small collection of people or more than just one person. Usually, I mean, the individual, uh, can create incredible, amazing things. And there's been amazing things, obviously a lot, if anything, that all comes from one person. But, um, yeah. but I think the, the support of others is really what harness it. If you like, you know, your argument could be like, well, what about Einstein? He came up with the theory of relativity himself individually. I'm like, but no, he didn't necessarily because he was raised by a family that might've encouraged or there was somebody in his life that might've opened up a passageway of thought for him or whatever it might be. Or he read a book from somebody else. And those are all like many collaborations, whether it's as deliberate and direct as it is for us collaborating or not so much. It's like, it's all a part of it. And it's a, it's a strength, I think, to use utilize it as a strength to create better art, you know. Um, yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's just been a, yeah, it's been really interesting. It was a, it was a total journey, you know. And I, I think we both were really pleasantly supply, surprised to see that it found its home with so many people, which is really cool. Yeah. So yeah. It's definitely. We, um, yeah, just the fact that it's so, so long. Yeah, it's uh, very long. It's I mean, like it's very long. It, there's some crazy long shots, and in, in a generation now where we feel that everything cuts so sharp and and so fast and so, um, you know, just chaotic and yeah. it's like you know clickbait material. And if it doesn't go and do anything in the next in the first, like I think our first shot. This is something we took a lot of inspiration from from Kubrick's 2001. Obviously, yeah, we've made it very clear to anybody. I think that's one thing that's important when you when you get inspired by somebody is to make it very clear that you did, so people don't go like, "You ripped it off." It's like, no, I know because we already said yeah. we did. No, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's well, not even just ripping so. it off. It's just being inspired by it, anyways. But yeah, yeah. but I mean, yeah. Go ahead. at the end of the day, it was just more. Um, like it was, it was sat satisfying for us to make it right, and that was yes. sort of the only goal. And I don't know. I think for me, it's uh, that, that's sort of the most interesting work stuff. That's sort of um, I don't know, honest or just um, sort of comes from a place that's not necessarily trying to please anyone, <laughs> anyone else. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not 
that's made to get uh, Vimeo likes or whatever. Um, no, absolutely. You know, it's just something that we wanted to explore. You know, also, um, just yeah, explore our own abilities as well. <laughs> yeah, we had never made something that long, and I think um, hopefully. What I'm getting at is for anybody that's listening to this that wants to make their own films or passion projects or anything would maybe take some cues from this if they're interested in doing so and perhaps they can go off and make their own things and inspire the next group of people that wants to go and do something, you know, so and taking a risk, you know, like trying something a little different. Like right now the trend isn't necessarily to do something like this and we knew that and we're, we knew we were going up against like quite a high mountain um, for a barrier of entry for people to like it. But I think for no matter what you do, if you do something with like pure intention and pure honesty and pure integrity and pure focus, then you're going to have an audience no matter what. I think you're going to find somebody or a group of somebody's or a large group of somebody's that are going to spiritually connect with that thing yeah. that you've made in some sort of capacity because they're going to feel that amount of effort and time and focus and energy that you put into your project, you know? So yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the, the best way to grow is to do personal projects and it sort of helps you learn, or it's the best reason to, you know, to learn a new technique or something, you know, you haven't done before as well. So yeah. that sense of pur- purpose, and, you know, when I see all my friends, they're constantly, everyone is constantly doing personal projects and it's, you know, it's so inspiring to see what everyone's making. Yeah, I love it. I love it because it just you can start to really tell what people are about too. Because you can't tell when they're doing like client projects because there's so many different right. layers in front of that person's creative voice that's not like really them. But when they go off, and I think that's what makes like doing title sequences for like design conferences that are all about too. And you can see like, oh, okay, like you're you're a derivative, or actually, well, that you have an interesting idea, or like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Like you have you're really interested in that or whatever it might be. And then, um, just kind of showcasing what people are interested in, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, my portfolio when I started freelancing was definitely nothing, uh, uh, necessarily of the sort that, that I necessarily wanted to do, but yeah, over time you, you can sort of build stuff, but, um, and I know a lot of people too, you know, are really amazing artists who just don't have much of a presence online. You know, yeah. Incredibly talented. Yeah. I know a lot of those dudes, those people as well. And that keeps me really quite humbled too. And just knowing like, wow, yeah. just think about how many people are out there that aren't even showing their work. They're just going to would crush it, you know? So yeah, Definitely. <laughs> there's a manifesto from uh, Sean Barber. I don't know if it's still on his site, but it's, there's this info section on his site where he talks about this kind of like manifesto of his thoughts on his humbleness of being an artist. And one of the things he says is like, the thing you need to know about art is you'll never be the best. And that's the beauty of it. And yeah there's always going to be somebody better than you in the future. There's always going to be somebody better than you in the past. There's always going to be somebody better than you now. But that being said, don't let that discourage you. Like you can be the best at what you are by being like content and powerfully like happy. And like, you know, those moments where you make something and you're just like, fuck yeah, I made it. Like I'm so stoked. You know, and like those are the moments that you live for when it comes to your work, you know, like at least for me, because like if you're not doing it for that, then what reason are you doing it for? You know? Right. Right. And so I think it's important to know, you know, that's, that's so, so ever, ever changing, right? Yes, exactly. Whatever that, 
that is. Um, I think that's that's sort of hard sometimes, at least for myself. That um, um, like, or, or I'll do something, but most of the times I don't feel like like my skills are good enough to to really like realize it the way I want it to. And yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely. I think there's there's always reasons to to want to get better and you know just keep developing your craft (laughs) yeah it's a it's a journey and it's never a destination you know so yeah yeah, it's definitely it's incredibly inspiring to see you know how how many people out there now are just doing amazing things yes it's it's epic i love it and just seeing the potential of people and you know like look at this like next generation of people unleashing like right right home studios that are able to produce like yeah i mean uh, one of the goals too, I think with Epoch and keep bringing it back to it, but it's cause it's more relevant. It's like the thing we just recently did, but it's like we, for me personally, I wanted to make a statement of like how far technology has come. I'm not saying that, uh, our film looks anywhere near as beautiful as 2001, but like for two guys over this course of two and a half months, uh, if we were to go back in time and show Stanley this, I think he would be impressed to be completely <laughs> honest for two people. i would imagine you know like to think about what it is you know like we were really 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 diligent about focusing on capturing the likeness and look and style of the miniatures on those sets and and when we started seeing the model come through and seeing it rendered and kind of coming out we're like wow okay like this is really starting to be what it is that we're looking for you know visually and stuff so yeah it's really um I don't know. That's sort of an interesting thing, right? That's sort of changing a lot in our industry too, right? That yeah, islands. Uh, that yeah, these like little hubs can can produce you know similar stuff to what, what studios or effects houses are doing. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. At least is to kind of like find, um, make the best work that you can with the tools that you have. And now it's like we've never been more empowered than ever to be able to make like the 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 work the the work that we do now the powers yeah. of the tools like it, literally if you are interested and curious and you have if you put the time to it you can learn to do anything really now um and the, in regards to the visual arts and design I, 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 I mean learned, I can learn anything on YouTube anything yeah like um yeah. even today I was watching tutorials on using certain things and and Adobe Illustrator I've been using it since like. 2002 so 15 years already now but i was watching like some tutorials on how to use it um certain things and i was like oh okay cool you know and so the journey never ends just because i'm like oh i've been using that 15 years i don't know everything it's like no you don't know anything about it you know you're slowly always learning and being humbled by that reality so but yeah it's it's pretty cool i'm really stoked on that okay i have a couple more questions and i'll wrap it up because we're going like usually i try to um you know we we could talk for hours but like got a lot of complaints from people like your podcasts are too long and then there's some people that are like your podcasts are too short so um sorry okay. i'm gonna go right in the middle here i usually try to cap them out at like an hour and a half but uh, uh we're just we were flowing so well having such a good conversation so but anyways um we talk a lot about films um and i know i've asked you this because um, we went through this list personally but um something that i would, thought would be kind of interesting for you to kind of rattle off a couple of your favorite films and why Cause I think those are interesting cause those are obviously constant muse and inspirations for you. So uh, one being transformers three, four and five and seven. <laughs> yeah. I love all of them. Uh, 
I think, you know, they're very underrated. Yeah, you, you like obscure films. Like, um, I watch Rashomon. Well, Rashomon? Whatever anyone is saying, you know, some, you know, everyone's hating on them. But someone has to be lying because those movies are making a shitload of money. So. Yeah, who's watching Fast and Furious and stuff? Like, I only know a couple people that watch those and, like, admit that they watch them, but I, they're I've making so much them. money. I've seen most of them, and I would say it's probably one of the few franchises that has gotten better at its seventh sequel. <laughs> but I don't know. It, it is what it is, right? I mean, sure, I'm not, sure. I'm not even the cars, but... Um, no, I mean, it's to each his own, too. And, I mean, that's not whatever. It's like, that's a guilty pleasure thing, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, like, um, like I, I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm, I love Kurosawa. Like, one of my favorite films is, is Rashomon, because I think it's... It's, it's sort of about subversive storytelling and it's sort of one of the early films that, that sort of explores like uh, a story with um, like told from different perspectives by, by different people and uh, it's sort of been redone many times um, like another like, it's a great film I really enjoyed it yeah like another film is uh, like Solaris um, which one? I like both. I, I prefer Tarkovsky's, I think, just because it's, um, I think the American version is a little lighter. It's, it's definitely more accessible. Mm. Like, like Tarkovsky's films, they're all like really long and like slow. Like, you, have you ever seen Stalker? No, I haven't seen Stalker. Um, it's also sort of classic sci-fi, but it's, it's three hours long and, and also like incredibly slow, but it's, it's, it, he has these sort of incredible moods and, um, um, and I think that's also been such an informative like, piece of science fiction. Um, again, like it's sort of classic seventies style where it's, you know, it's the, the outer journey and the inner journey and that type of stuff. Um, but, um, it's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's just something that's really resonated with me. And, of course, 2001 is it's a huge um, influence. What is it about 2001 that you like? I think it's, it's a lot of it's, is it's um, aesthetic and sort of accurate depiction of, of both space and, and um, um, I've always had, an interest in, in anything that has to do with artificial intelligence and stuff like that. I think that's sort of uh, one of the early depictions on, on film of, you know, <laughs> an AI gone, gone bad. Um, mm. But I, I, I like films that are sort of, um, um, that aren't necessarily definitive or have like one definitive answer or, or where you can't wrap it up and say, okay, this is exactly what this is about. You know, it's sort of like the ending is sort of very open-ended and there's like multiple interpretations of, of what that is. And I think that's sort of, you know, the, a lot of it is very um, set in stone, but it sort of gives you a certain narrative and then it leaves you with something that you can take, you know, home and sort of wrestle with forever. You know, I think that's sort of, what makes it an interesting film, you know, hmm. um, like another, like we talked about this recent, like another recent film is, uh, upstream color, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Shane's movies. Yeah. Yeah, um, which I also find sort of um, not Lynchian, but like he he sort of um, his films are very much about mood and not so much about like strict narrative where everything necessarily makes sense like chronologically but it's he creates these like really interesting moods and um, um you don't always know exactly what's going on but the moods sort of like um guide you through whatever the narrative is yeah it's very abstract storytelling but it's like it's so interesting like for those of you that are listening that haven't watched any of shane caruth's films you should definitely give them a go uh i've I've recommended them to my friends and they've been like they're like you suck why are you telling me to watch that and some of my friends are like wow that was so interesting so it's a very uh it's a very hit or miss kind of thing i think right i definitely see why why a lot of people wouldn't like it like you know i guess You know, if you're very reductive, it could look very film school-like, you know. Or that's it looks what, that's like what they would complain about. Like, yeah, you know, like, sort of, like a lot of Terrence Malick movies, like, you know, the, the way that his camera work is, like it's the sort of stuff that you probably learn in film school, school that you should never do, but it's, for some people it works, right, to, to break the rules or to do things with a certain aesthetic, but, you know, it can also be too much, but. Yeah. Rules are made to be broken and they're made to be, that's why they're there because they're, if they're not strong and then they're, they're designed to just kind of deteriorate, you know? So they're there to be, you know, um, you know, deconstructed, questioned, um, built upon, destroyed, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, another ghost in the shell. I was waiting for that. Ghost in the shell for sure. Yeah. Um, It's definitely, um, big one up there. I think I, what I love about that film is just that um, it's, it's one of the few films that, that sort of tackles uh, artificial intelligence in sort of an interesting way, but also where it's not just your typical, uh, oh, machines are bad. They want to destroy us, so we must destroy them. You know, yeah. It sort of has like an, an, an interesting look on what the future could be, you know, besides that. And I think it also sort of, um, the way that the world is built up sort of, um, is very close to what, what our world is becoming now, where everyone is hooked up to the net, you know, everyone gathers information from there. Like in, in the second movie, for instance, like most people speak in quotes all the time because when you have access to, you know, something that someone smarter probably said, you know, you say that instead. And, um, so I think the, the world building is, is so vast and interesting. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's very layered. I was actually li- reading through one of my books the other day in Tron Depot. Have you ever read those? You have a lot of books too. One of, um, yeah. um, <laughs> um, what's I, I'm drawing a blank. What's the original, the original creator's name? Um, Ghost in the Shell, like the original, not, not the anime director. Uh, let's see, Loshi or yeah. Or, uh, wait, are you talking about the the manga or the manga? Yeah, um, the original oh, yeah, author. Uh, well, did you ever have you read the manga? 
I've read them as a kid. Shira, yeah, written by Shira. Oh, Shira. Masamuni yeah. Shira, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he was, I was just reading through his, like, commentary. Uh, he's He's got such a wiry brain. Uh, yeah. there's this, there's this book series called Intron Depot, Intron yeah. Depot. Um, and, uh, they're like these art books that he has, um, that are really quite interesting. And his, like, he has these little captions that go along with it. And they're so, um, they're so interesting. Like the way that he kind of puts them together are so, yeah. he just goes off these like random tangents about like the fictional sci-fi of reality and like his plausibilities of like why he drew certain things. And so he, he very much is, uh, he's always kind of like exercising his imagination. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes it so strong. And I think that's why people like ourselves really are drawn to it. Cause the imagination of that like altered state. And I think right when I was a kid, when I watched uh, ghost in the shell, I would, like look at like oh it's such a cool gun or that car is so cool or that like part's so cool so it like captured like the the lizard brain really well yeah. and then and then when i started really getting into it as an adult i started looking at like the subtext and all these multiple layers of those like really beautiful moments where things are you know those contemplative long holds or when she's going through the city and she's seeing the mannequin and all these different like you know what it is to be a human and and those like fine yeah. lines and how like in the future we kind of cut those divides you know and um that's for me that's like what makes it still um, so good it's funny i have yes. a lot of friends that don't like it too so it's so funny you know it's like can't yeah. please everybody so no i don't think it's so like um it's definitely not like uh super entertaining if you will but like on on just like surface level i think it's it's probably a little cut and dry if you're not interested like in that subject matter, but um, I think it also gets a lot from from the director. Um, yes, yeah, he injects it a lot of himself in that. It's quite different from the source material. Yeah, he he's a uh, he he. I mean, have you watched Innocence too? Have you seen the yeah. second one? Yeah, and he he put a lot of himself in there. I mean, he puts his dogs in all of his films. Too. Yeah, I don't know like if you've his, seen any of his other films, um, but he has. He definitely has like a very certain like aesthetic and sort of. Jinron, uh, have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah. Like in that one, he has a. He did a. He's done a lot of. Uh, done some uh, live action. Yeah, I haven't seen his live action. Red Spectacles or um, Avalon. Have you seen those? Yeah, yeah. I have some um, on DVD. What are your thoughts on it? Um, I think a lot of them, like when you see those, they they all have like a very similar setting to Ghost in the Shell, and they're also like thematically very similar. Hmm. Do you like... Man, my brain's all mush. Um, <laughs> the guy that created uh, Nausicaa and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Miyazaki? You like oh, Miyazaki's yeah. work? I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to blink. This, this stuff. I think, um, I mean, he's, I don't know. I think anyone who's into animation has got a lot of his stuff. Yeah, um, it's super I, next level. Really good stuff. Yeah, and I think it's also, like, that's what I love about that type of anime, that it's sort of, it can be for kids and grown-ups too and not be like I think I feel like a lot of American like like animated movies are sort of not condescending, but is they're just so like 
you know, they have to do it with like the slapstick and like the weird like comedy sometimes that you know sort of takes you out of it. Yeah. You know, it can't just be like not that it has to be super serious, but you know, it doesn't have to just you know talk down to you like you're a child. Yeah, it's it's a it's I think it's it comes from the lineage of like the almighty Disney, you know, like and Disney made such a massive impact on the world that it's just kind of like the remnants of his impact, you know? Yeah. Um, which is a good and a bad thing. I read a quote from Disney said a while ago the other day. Um, I thought it was really great. He basically said like, whatever you do in life, do it so good that people will like be shocked by it. And so good that they will want to continue and see it for like over and over and over like that, make it that good, you know? Yeah. Well, you, you saw that documentary on him too, right? Um, what's it called? No, I haven't. I've heard about it though. What's it called? The Disney uh, documentary. Uh, uh, let's see. Walt Disney, the, the, the Walt Disney documentary. Is that? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. About Miyazaki. Oh, the Miyazaki one? Oh, the, the Kingdoms of uh, um, yeah, Dreams yeah. and Madness? Yeah. Uh, I love that one. Um, dreams yeah the king the kingdom of dreams and madness that was really great i really love that because like i love how open he is he's such an open book and he was just kind of like talking about like how sad it is for him to see like just the demise of like just people's attention spans and then the the you know the thing that he loves like kind of deteriorating but then also like all his work whether he thinks it's even like you know what's the point of it you know and so he's constantly like questioning himself and it's cool to see somebody at his like level of mastery and i think that again as we talked about it i think there's something to be said about there's a punishing part of being a creative that you kind of have to go through and i think it's more or less like because we're not um it's like we put our minds and bodies through this like imaginary stress to make it important because we're not necessarily like getting hunted by lions or something yeah, like, yeah, no, it's like it, in the scheme of everything or daily life it doesn't really matter much no it doesn't we're not saving lives and we're not doing anything like all that significant really i mean we might be like positively um influencing people but we're not necessarily like right you know like i don't know there there are no stakes for sure no not really you know like there might be a couple little things here and there but it's not like uh yeah it's not it's not as important as I think we make it out to be, you know? So, yeah. or at least like I get all like super hyper madness and crazy about it. Cause I'm like, this is life or death, you know? So, but that's, right. what, I think right. that's what turns me up and that's what makes me get like wrapped up and crazy. And that's what maybe like adds to like my feverish, like work mentality is like that feeling of just like, you gotta be the best that you can. There's no other choice. You know, you must be the best, you know? So, and what is that? And, and you know, and what does that even mean, you know? So it right, becomes a conundrum. So yeah, well, as long as you're getting, you know, um, as long as there's some sort of self satisfaction about that, where you're getting, you know, enjoy or joy out of you know, leading that type of life, you know, I think that's sort of what's most important. I think it's more uh, the idea that that you can sort of chisel out your your own, you know way of life compared to just um, having to slave away, you know, and, and work for the weekend, you know, some dead-end job. Yeah. I, I swear it's true. If you if you love what you do, you don't really work. You just, you live. That's what it is. It's like yeah. you, you don't, you're not working. You're just living. You're existing in your own, like, realm. Basically, you're existing in your 
you're in your own uh you just you're existing on your own terms basically and that's really where uh i want to be so whatever it might be you know so some people it's like surfing waves every day for some people it's rescuing cats some people it's (laughs) like you know saving the uh ice caps of the north pole i don't know like we all have different triggers that activate us in different parts of our lives, you know? So right. and yeah. for most of us like that are, you know, in this generation were consumed like, you know, by watching movies or whatever. And those are the things that triggered us to go do what we do, you know? So. Right. Yeah. But also I think, you know, a lot of our parents' generation, they, you know, they didn't necessarily know or explore that, that, that opportunity, you know, they, um, or a lot of them were, were more cautious and, um, you know, I think work life was, you know, has definitely changed so much for, for our generation. Yeah. Um, and there are so many more opportunities now. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're really quite blessed. <laughs> we really are. I just finished reading another book called, uh, leaders eat last. And he talks quite a right. bit about like the generation, uh, our generation and then the baby boomer generation, and how that was built on the generation of the depression in America. I'm talking about America only really, cause that's what he was discussing, but how like the people that kind of pushed through the, 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 the oddities and the hardships of the depression built, rebuilt the country basically. And then they like, um, all their children, they kind of, kind of, uh, cared for their children a little too much. And then that baby boomer generation were like my generation, like me, 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 me. And then this generation now is even worse. It's like selfies generation where it's like, it's not about the greater good of, of our community. It's about me and me getting mine and that's all matters. And that's just just really bad. It's a detriment to society and humanity as a whole being so individualistic, you know? So, right. uh, Yeah. It's, it's really interesting though. His perspectives were really, uh, he had um he had some really interesting things to say. He's done a couple of TED talks. Um, leaders eat last. I'm trying to find the author's name because um, he's got uh, he's got some really interesting things to say. I found him through reading a uh, watching Simon Sinek S I N E K. But yeah, he's he's got some really interesting things to say. And the leaders eat last book was pretty interesting too. Just a matter of like how to kind of like work with others and and also like you know just making things happen you know so yeah it was really yeah. interesting uh highly re- recommend that book too i read a lot so or yeah. actually i listen to a lot of books so yeah. okay so what what do you or do you do you mostly do audiobooks or do you yeah i mix them up but most of the time it's audiobooks because i could do that while i'm working or something yeah so I'll like, but it's, it's been harder and harder as I'm sure, you know, like when you start to do intensive yeah. thinking, like to, to listen to a book while you're doing intensive problem solving. Yeah. I have a hard time doing that sometimes, but it's um, a good excuse to go and take a walk or something and listen to an audiobook. Right. Or, yeah. um, but that's also a problem because if you fill your day with nonstop inundation of information, then you don't allow your brain to like actually digest it and it doesn't really sit. So that's something yeah. that I've been finding a big problem with too. So Right. Never ending. So hard that you know we're so overly stimulated all the time. It's sort of hard to just sit someone do nothing. Where just the power in that. There's a there's a significant power for our brains to to have that moment of reflection and, and calmness. You know. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. Like how much we consume now. You know, it's when you think about you know maybe I don't know like twenty years ago. You know. 
you might watch, uh, I don't know, a couple of movies like a week or something. Now people watch, you know, two, two every night or something. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It's crazy. A lot of consumption happening. Okay. Last question and we'll wrap it up. Um, if you were to give your past self and any sort of advice or feedback or um, something that would you think would significantly help you on your course of events in your current day or chasing the dreams that you have now, uh, what would that advice be? <laughs> oh, that's tough Use a condom, not joking. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad rule. Like, just um, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's it's um it's so important that whatever you're doing that you you know you have the sort of the experience of both both failure and success you know i think it's it's sort of there's always uh, a desire to to wanting everything to be you know good all the time but i think you know having those hardships sometimes help you you know learn and appreciate a lot of things whether professional or personal and I think it's also I mean my trajectory in life has changed so much from when I was younger or what I thought I wanted to be Yeah. and I think it's hard to always determine like early on like okay I want to have this profession you know that that can change a lot of things or opportunities might present themselves you know at times where you don't necessarily um expect it so yeah yeah it's a it's a i think just yeah just always <laughs> work work hard and just you know do whatever you're doing to the fullest man i could tell you that you don't need your past self to tell you that <laughs> <laughs> no it's true though that's it i mean that's all that matters too at the end of the day it's your work that matters i think you know so that's what's going to get you continually working and that's what people are going to judge you by. Um, like right. out, on the outside world. Not, probably yeah. tell myself to tell people not to vote for Trump. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Um, awesome dude. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a pleasure well, having you on and I'm glad thanks. we finally were able to do this conversation, uh, openly with everybody. Cause we've, we, um, we do a lot of these talks. We'll get into like, talking about a shot or something we'll go off on like these two hour tangents of talking about <laughs> film or some sh- shit i don't even know what it is we did that a lot when we were making the films we were doing so um, yeah yeah it's cool and it's cool for people to get to know you a little bit more i know you um you don't mind like kind of living behind things or just kind of like you know not you don't you're not super like yeah look at me you know <laughs> got the ego you know so um it's good i think it's it's awesome for people to get to know who you are and and uh, just shed some light on your past and your journey and where you're going and stuff too. And also, this is a good time capsule for you too. Come back to this in five years if you ever decide to listen to it again to see <laughs> how much you have progressed and where yeah, you've gone. Yeah. You know, so well, yeah, time well, capsules. Thanks, thanks for for having me. Sure. Well, it's a pleasure, man. And that concludes this week's episode. Big thank yous to Chris for coming on the show and sharing his time energy with us this week you can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at the collective podcast.com slash 147 along with links to our facebook twitter and itunes podcast page have an amazing day everybody go out there be prolific be powerful have an amazing day everyone peace out